So I'm just freshly back from the Leavers assembly for my eldest. Um, so he's going to big school next year. So they do a little play thing and then they showed a video of them all in nursery. Mm. Um, so little vi- the compilation of little bits, lovely emotional music. Yeah, the Britain's Got Talent. Yeah, yeah, uh, the Britain's Got Talent montage. X Factor yeah. montage. I teach montage as as, <laughs> as part of my day job. <laughs> it's really hard then to not go, so you put emotional music on, this picture of my kid, that's yeah. good. I can relate to that. He's bigger now. That's clever. That's good. Um, yeah. I can relate to this. Fuck me. So of England being knocked out of a World Cup. It, so my immediate thought process is the one that I use when we're sort of teaching some of this stuff is 2002 when they lost to Brazil. Oh, yeah. Ronaldinho's lot. Yes, yes. Stop crying your heart yeah, out. Yeah. The Oasis one. Hold on. And I remember watching... Don't be scared. <laughs> BBC and ITV used Yes, they did. They both yeah. did the same montage. It was amazing. But I remember watching that with a bunch of England fans, and they were all in tears and in bits, and I remember not... I wasn't, you know... Mm. I, I felt exactly the same this morning. <laughs> Parents in bits. <laughs> and I was just like... Mm. You and I... We could not be any more different, right? Because yeah. So last year, because of COVID, we couldn't do the assembly. Right? Okay. Parents weren't allowed in. We couldn't go there for the Christmas concerts. We missed a lot of stuff in the in the year six. Obviously, it was a lot worse for some people, but for me, that was hard work not being able to do the year six stuff. Yeah. What they let us do was stand by the the rear gates of the school down towards the playing fields that side and barrack the kids like it was the minus. No, yes, yeah, throw coins at them. <laughs> and the year six wanker, kids wanker. basically walked around the. Yard for last time. Yes. With all the other study years waving and applauding and whatever, and all the parents there at the back. I was in, I was in fucking bits. I was so, <laughs> and then they did one of these montages for us to take home, you know. Like yeah. It wasn't, yeah. The assembly. Hold on. Oh, yeah. I'm staggered you're doing this podcast today because I was, <laughs> without any exaggeration, I couldn't stop crying all day. Really? But you know you could see Ben again, yeah? Yeah, but that that okay. that part of his life. He's leaving school, not you. Yeah. All those memories. No, no, I said that to a mum on the way out. One of the mums, I went, you don't no. even see him later. Yeah. Well, I've done that walk back and forth to school twice a day. And when, when the kids were staggered, time entry, four times a day, every yes. day for eight years of my life, mm. right? Like, I, I wouldn't want to think how many thousands of times I've done that school run. Holding, oh, loads. Yeah. Holding their hands and. I never leave the gate before they've gone on the corner and I'm waving to them and blowing them kisses. You've seen me on the score, right? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Um, Embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, you, you look at it like a South American comedy. So when Ben <laughs> finished last year, Kelly came back from work at like, uh, usual time, sort of five o'clock, by half past five. I was still I was still in tears. I was, I was in fucking, I was an emotional wreck thinking about things. Spooing up. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I was, I was, and I said to Kelly, fuck, when Ellie leaves primary next year. Yeah. I don't. I don't know what I'll do. Like, if we if we got a pod recording that yeah. day, it's not going to happen. It's like not going to happen. It won't happen. Well, it can't happen. I'll be a blubbering mess. Oh, I'll be great. This will be going to the awards. I'm a very nostalgic person. I'm a very for a big hairy ass ex rugby player. Yes. Very thin skinned. Very sensitive bloke. <laughs> very thin skinned. I am. You know. So I w- I was devastated. The rugby players I knew growing up, a lot of them were actually very sensitive. Mm. Mm. I'm a, oh, yeah. oddly they were sort of physically tough but emotionally sensitive and sort of friendship yeah. meant a lot to oh, them oh very sensitive I'm like oh, a six year old kid in a man's body honestly <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm sensitive I'm sensitive as in I take I, I take things to heart I see I take criticism very easily 
very used to. Can we have a chat? There's <laughs> <laughs> a I, few things I want to raise. Yeah. Can you not tell me mine? Yeah, it's all right. I'll just tell you ours as well, yeah? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a big, big believer in that. No, like milestones, like we're leaving the house. I wasn't exaggerating. When I left the house last week, mm. two weeks ago now, because it's, t- it's, I know it's bricks and mortar, and I know that we've bashed the place around since we've been there, and it's not the same bricks and mortar as when we moved in, but it's all the yeah. things that happened in that. It's, it's all the things, all the memories of that place. Yes. I was crying then, and then I gave Vic a, a cut on the way out. I started crying again. He was crying. I couldn't speak. Yeah. I was like, fuck The Vic up. thing I understand, because... Yeah, 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 yeah. I understand He's that. a person. I get yeah. that. But he does only live a mile and a half away from Well, he's been around here three times since. Yeah, exactly. It's perfectly good. You've only been there for a week. Empty-handed. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, I saw a photo of Vic with tops on. Yeah, on the hottest day of the year. Well, do you know what? So I've moved to a nice... Uh, not nice, that sounds awful. I love Canton. I wouldn't change it, right? But I've lived... You've left. Well, because I needed a bigger garden for the kids and I needed more, a bit more space, you know? Not because I didn't... I got on great with my neighbours and I love the area, but we've moved is the, is the upside of it. But to what would it be described as a leafier part of Cardiff, right? Yes. You live next door to the mayor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> What was his name? The, the the sort of famous one who's in the new Russell. Something? Russell Goodway. Oh, Russell oh, Goodway. God. He's the, he's oh. head of the council, only Russell Goodway. Yeah. So yeah, he's been, he's been able to see me. He's been here three times now, but twice on a Sunday. Both times wearing shirts. I've never. Well, I've I rarely see him in a top anyway. Yeah. And when I do, it's always like an old rugby polo shirt. Oh, do you think he's dressing up for your neighbourhood? Hundred percent. Interesting. Oh, That's I'm wearing like a nice shirt that I would They're wear. Really like, nice. like, the pink one he had on the other day looked lush. Yeah, yeah, he looks like he looks like he looks like Tom Selleck's granddad these days. He comes around with like a nice sort of Hawaiian shirts on and shorts, shades, hair brushed and parted. Oh, I like he's making effort though. That's lovely. That we so, so he's off the booze now because for medical medical reasons. So yeah, yeah. We, we make him a soft drink or a cup of tea, and we set aside. We put the because at the moment we, we haven't got any patio furniture. We haven't got any we haven't got any furniture. Yeah. So we just get two of the older dining chairs and we sell the uh, on the patio. That's lovely. Putting the world straight, me and the big boy, but. I, I know that, like when the kids leave, we talk about moving house, and you were like, "Nah, it doesn't bother me." So he's like, yeah. "No interest." God, yeah. when the kids leave home eventually, yes. Well, that's I don't yeah. I don't know what I'll do. Yeah, no, that's a big I'll, one. I'll be in a funk for months. I yeah. know I will be because you don't see them day after day. You know, my eldest not going to a school anymore. He's going to be in my house still, isn't he? It's fine. <laughs> and the other two still go to that school, so it's fine. No, I... it's a it's a real. Tangible reminder, yes, of age that they're getting older, yeah, of course, it is, they're yeah. moving on, and yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you, but and I love this. I know, fucking, I'm gonna start crying now. Talking about it. you're gonna cry about my son leaving school. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm gonna cry about my son. There's a photograph of him, he loves, he loves your son, I love your son so much, yeah, yeah, he's grown up so much. <laughs> it's just the fact that your son is growing up so fast, <laughs> can't cope with it. I love your son's friend. <laughs> That's a lovely gag. The Jackson defence. I'm building a pleasure park in my back garden anyway, so. Yeah. <laughs> All the kids' room. Um, there's a photograph of them in Cardiff Castle on a school trip, maybe in year one or year two. And they, there's that well there. There's like a well outside the castle. Yes, like a, yeah, like yeah. An old school. Yeah. And they're fascinated. And there's like 10 kids all crowded together, all looking down a well. I said, you know, I think I, I commented at the time, imagine being this fascinated by a well. Like, well, there's yeah. like 10 kids just, it was something they hadn't seen. Realised there was an 11th kid who'd fallen down there and that's why they were crying around us. <laughs> 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 um, I don't remember I was watching Lassie. <laughs> <laughs> 
that photograph is so poignant to me because I thought, oh my god, there's there's a few in there that stick out. Yeah, that's well, that's one of them. Yeah, and I think now we see him playing rugby league against people bigger than me. Yeah, but to me, he's that little kid looking oh, yeah. well. Yeah, I, I don't disassociate those things. I, I saw there was one lad who's you know, I don't know, he's year six and he's like nine stone. He's massive. He's tall. He's huge. And they showed a picture of him, you know, when he was four. And I was like, oh yeah, he's grown, hasn't he? It didn't make me feel no, like you can't have oh, look, that. he's bigger, isn't he? That's yeah, funny. Oh That's cute. God. But I don't need to cry no. about it. <laughs> I do. That's fine. I think I could cry. Both of the reactions are perfectly fine. Oh, yeah. Not, I'm not saying you're a sociopath. I'm just saying... Uh, <laughs> you might be. <laughs> I, like a, I, like, I like a good old cry. That's what I'm saying. No, I don't even like a cry because it, it, it doesn't ruin my day, but it's, it's, it's debilitating when I get that emotional about stuff. I never, ever cried at films, ever. But now I, I would say the majority of films I watch because I'm often just moved at the effort the filmmaker has gone into making <laughs> oh. the film. <laughs> I went. To, I took uh, the kids to see the Railway Children yesterday or the day before because I was cinemas air conditioned and it was thirty seven degrees. With the, the start of the Railway Children, which I had read when I was very little, yeah. I don't remember any of it. Obviously, they're evacuees. They're being sent from Salford to rural Lancashire. Okay, I can't remember. And um, well, it's rural. I can't remember what it is in the film. In the book, in the in the film, it's rural Lancashire. Okay, not to be confused with rural Lancashire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I wouldn't have done this years ago, but I did imagine trying to make that decision because some parents yeah, thought be awful. they were best to stay off with them. Yeah. And some parents couldn't send them away and some parents thought, no, it's a no-brainer. You've got to send them somewhere where they're not going to get bombed by the Luftwaffe. Yeah. So obviously the mother's like, no, you need to get on the train. And the eldest kid is asked to look after the two youngest children. And I read a book about uh, World War Two in lockdown, the first lockdown, yeah. about evacuees. God knows where this is going, but go on. No, no, wait, bro. That'll be a wicked payoff. And then, and then, one, parent, then one parent says, I can't, I can't send you, I can't send you. And obviously we were there for a bit of fun to watch, like everyone's eating ice cream, and I'm like... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I couldn't imagine doing that, imagine that. Yeah, but that, again, that's a huge stretch from sending your child away to, to rural Lancashire from... He'll be in the house at half three. Yeah, but you, yeah. but it's 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 the memories of the place, isn't it? He's got another day there tomorrow. It's imbued with memories. Not even his last <laughs> fucking day. <laughs> this is why I probably got upwards of a hundred thousand photographs of the kids. Oh yeah, I've got that. I just don't look at them. <laughs> it would be weird if you looked at them. Yeah, I wouldn't have time to look at them. I've got I don't know I don't know how many thousands I've got, but I've got more um, than you actually. <laughs> yeah, but if I if I spent all day looking at them, yeah. it would be weird. It would be weird. so fast. When Ben was first born, we had one of those little rocker chairs, you know, like, like a... Sp- yeah, yeah, love those. On like a, not a spring, but just folded metal, which would sort of bounce you, but you tapped your foot on Fire it. Fire him into the living room. No, when you just put your foot and you sort of rock it. Yeah, yeah, back and yeah. Forth. And he had this big smiley face, right, and big blue eyes. And I would stay there for probably three hours. Just look at, just rocking him and go and photograph, photograph, photograph. And Kelly came on, I said, look at these. She got, you've taken a thousand of the same photograph. Yeah, yeah. I have. I know, yeah, yeah. Know, sorry, Kelly. I'll happily sit there and play trains for all hours, just lying on the floor. And then I had two more kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah there's, there's lots of photos of me. Yeah. There's almost as many photos of Caris, who was two years younger than me. Yeah. Mia. The one photo my mum and dad have got of Nia, it is a good one, but that really yeah. is it, sort it's of 1987 to <laughs> graduation. Amazing. <laughs> 2008 or whatever. You do feel bad for the for the 
the kids who come along, don't you? That's the thing. Yeah. You can't, because yeah. you love them equally, but you, you, you physically cannot spend that much time on them. Oh, you can't take that many photos. Like I say, you can sit on the floor and play Thomas the Tank Engine until I'm blue in the face with the first one. My God, mate, I found Ben's Penny Morris, like a three-inch high little figurine. Yeah. From his uh, Fireman Seven stuff. Yeah. And he was obsessed with Penny, right? And I said, when he was, he always had him in his, always in, in his hand, Penny Morris. Right? Yeah. Amazing. And then once when mum was alive, she came back and he dropped Penny Morris and she was devastated. Couldn't tell him. So oh. she had to go up and buy another Penny Morris. Oh, wow. Um, just sort of told her that the hands had grown back because he used to chew the hands as well, right? Not the same one. Yeah. yeah. But then that one was with him for, you know, a, a long time as well. We found found out the, when we moved in house. Yeah. Gone again. I was like, my God. Yeah. Because I used to wind him up then saying, I, I, Ben, Penny Morris on the phone because she said she loves you and he'd start giggling and, and he'd get really shy about it. That's really funny. You know, it was so that lovely. really funny. You didn't think for a moment that goes in the tip. Was she fit? Not for a second. Was she fit? <laughs> Penny Morris fit. She's all right. <laughs> but you well, didn't I think, tell you oh, what, it's a plastic toy. I might take, I might put that in the pile. To not to the head, not, not for a million it. years. Oh, we're very different. Not in a million years. In fact, when we cleaned stuff out in sort of three piles, charity pile, bin, move, right? Yeah, all went in the move. <laughs> Nothing. I was going through bin bags, checking, because Kelly's more like you, Steph, right? Yeah, he's not going to play with it again. Well, he's had those memories. He enjoyed it. Yes, is he's like no, that. Bear in, mind, bear in mind how much we love Toy Story, right? The, yeah, the yeah, series yeah, of yeah. films. Who is, oh, God, what's her name? The um, the, the cowgirl, uh, Woody's. Oh, Bo Peep. No, the cowgirl, Woody's uh, Squeeze. Is it not Bo Peep? No, the she, Bo oh. Peep is the, is the shepherdess for the isn't she? From the, oh, of course she is. Yeah, nursery yeah. rhyme fame. Yeah. I can't oh, remember. Okay, uh, Jessie. Is she fit? Cowgirl. Jessie. <laughs> Jessie. Jessie's fit. Jessie's yeah. the cowgirl. Yeah, she is fit. <laughs> She's fit. <laughs> she, they were throwing that away. I right? think if you've seen Toy Story, it's about that. Yeah. You're fulfilling her life's destiny. It's fine. Straight out of the bag and straight back in the house. She's going to help the rest of the toys escape, Mike. What you've done is you've <laughs> ruined a toy escape down the tip. There's no toys to escape, don't worry. They're all back here. <laughs> we had a clear out. Nice work, Andy. When we thought we were going to move. Yeah. And I'm very, very nostalgic for the first year of my stand-up career because I think it's my... It's funny then, I remember it. No. <laughs> No, but the fact that it, I'd, I'd worked for three and a half years, there's something about actually quitting your job and doing it. Yeah. It's never really the same. It's never really the same after oh, that. Oh, God, no. No. <laughs> so I was finding receipts from 2007, 2008. Crying. And I was like, I remember that, Ginsters. Yeah, it was, it was honestly, it was like, oh, my oh, God. Oh, stretch of services, 11.25 p.m. <laughs> I used to eat so many baguettes from upper crust at train stations. <laughs> I mean, I've got about 80 quid worth of upper crust receipts here, and it's just a handful of receipts. I mean, it's not even the entire tax year. And I kept... 45 litres of unleaded. Yeah. What about 68 litres? Look at the price of petrol. Yeah. (laughs) Pathetic. And Izzy, who is like and sort of mega Steph, Mm. was like, why on earth are you... What is wrong with you? And she would say stuff like, why don't you keep one of those baguette receipts? Yeah, and it'll no. remind you of the other receipts. I need, I need all 110. See, my, <laughs> my mum was very stiff to the point where, because mum was an atheist, Yeah, uh, when my nan passed away, mm. she had this in a pile of stuff to go to the skip, basically. The family Bible. <laughs> like from like 1870. Leather-bound family Bible. All oh, not for me. No, all illustrated with a family no. tree written in it by hand. <laughs> so what are you doing? You're not throwing this out, mum. Yes. Oh. 
I don't, I don't believe in all that. I don't believe in it. It's not for I me. Know, but I said, but man, that's the family Bible. That's 140 years old. There's a level yeah. of history to it aside from your atheism. You can't, <laughs> you can't throw out the family Bible. You couldn't give them monkeys. Can't that's great. Throw. I know my grandmother was. It's fine. Crack on. Not a monkeys. Oh, I told you for yeah. all my Star Wars magazines from, from episode one, gone. Yeah. When I went to Canada, just chucked them all out. They're all in boxes. You, you don't need them. Sure, you never read them. You never read them. You've read them. It was the first one, man. I had them all in order. Yeah. yeah. I never That's read them. We never read them. My grifter, gone. Yeah. And a grifter, rally grifter that I always looked after, gone. First condom I never used, that was gone, gone. as well. Gone. <laughs> Saving that. Condoms. As if. <laughs> if you went on, what's the one called uh, about your family trees? Where you go back? Oh, who do you think, you, think are? you are? Where Danny Dyer found out he was uh, he was related to Thomas Cromwell. Oh, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Josh Riddicum was related. To yeah, him. yeah. He Josh Riddicum is. Uh, He's like royal, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it was goes royal. back far enough. Yeah, but if you, if you went on that, then you'd be in bits about people you'd never met. Yeah, just going. Oh man, he died of syphilis. I, I fell up now. There's there's yeah. there's two publishers on the memorial. <laughs> the phone <hall>. book. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. They may be great. Memorial Hall in Barry, where me, get, uh, Alice and I both kicked. Yeah. There's two bumpers on there. That's quite upsetting. Oh, no, that would really get me. Because also, yeah. it's definitely you, isn't it? Like, yeah. there are Jameses. Oh, yeah, and they were 15 and 16 brothers. Yeah. You know, that's upsetting. But no, but, but when it's it's more to do with, for me, like, it's weird, because I'm not materialistic in as much as I don't, I don't care about acquiring things. Yeah. I like American cars, and I like I like I quite like clothes, right? But I'm not, I'm not a materialistic person. I don't give a fuck about how much things cost or what labels they got or anything else. But when it comes to memories, they're like fucking totems to me. I, I like memories. Don't get me wrong. I just don't need the thing. Mementos, though. Yeah, I don't need the memento I've to got, make the memory. There are four big boxes where we moved house. Yeah. One's called Ellie's Memory Box, and it'll be everything that she's... You know, birthday cards, Christmas cards. Okay, uh, that's nice for them. One's Ben's memory box, same. Yeah. And then there's two for me and Kelly then. Yeah. And it's everything from, you know, whatever, to degree certificates, to bloody tickets, to things, to whatever, just just full of stuff. And I, and I will, in all probability, to the, from now to the day I die, never open that box no. other than to put more stuff in it. But the thought of getting rid of that is bloody, oh. Do you know what was weird, though? When I threw away the vast majority of my 2007, 2008 baguette receipts. <laughs> Claim for now, isn't it? It's done. I didn't feel the euphoria everyone told me I'd feel. And I'm still slightly annoyed I did it, even though the house looks better. See, part of me thinks... Especially if HMRC investigate you. Yeah. If we'd have gone... If during the house move... The, the fellas in the removal truck, no one got injured in this scenario, but the fellas in the removal truck, there was a big accident. They bailed out in time, but right. everything was lost. That would be quite nice, actually, if you if the insurance money kicked in, just to be the four of us and just start, start from scratch. Again. What do we actually need? What do we actually really love? Okay. Was it, was it Bernard Shaw who said, I think it was Bernard Shaw, one of those football stars, who said, have nothing in your house that you do not know to be useful or yeah. believe to be beautiful. And that was his. Yeah. That was his Occam's razor. That was everything else was gone. Agree with half of that. The old uh, Marie Kondo technique. <laughs> Do you know what though? It's like when you stay in an Airbnb or something, and it's quite nice to not be surrounded by your stuff. Yeah, tat. It's not nice to not be surrounded by tat. Mm. And I always particularly get it if I rather than a hotel, if I stay in like a tidy Airbnb. Yeah. I think to myself, yeah, 
this is probably better than having one of my baguette memories in a tattoo. I don't know why. When I go to people's my own ages, or usually maybe a couple of years older than me's house, mm. it's like walking into the ideal home exhibition. I think, why is my house not like this? Why haven't I got a nice sofa with some nice cushions? Yeah, I'm exactly the same. A nice coffee table. I'm embarrassed about it. Go to the bathroom and there's a nice folded towel and some nice and a full roll of toilet paper. And my house, because we've got the kids, always looks like a bomb's at it. Yeah, always. yeah. Our living room's embarrassing. I try not to invite people in, and I'm not joking. <laughs> don't go into yourself, do you? <laughs> Stay out. Stay out. I'm embarrassed by this room. First of all, I, I love mementos, but I don't like stuff. I like the kitchen at the moment, every horizontal surface, it's just got stuff on it. I fucking get rid of the stuff. But then a lot of that, when I realise a lot of stuff is mine. Because <laughs> you don't throw anything out. I do throw things out, but most of it is small children's toys. I've, you what, should have small children. When I keep their pictures, I'll go through stuff and go right. That isn't you know. I do vet stuff. I don't keep everything. Yeah, but if there's like a picture that Ellie's drew of me and Kelly when she was three, I'm not throwing that out. What? Keeping it obviously. The drawing's only going to get better, mate. <laughs> it's not going to be a best work. But what do you like to find? Oh, what do you draw when you're like two or three years of age? Oh. I wish I had some. Do you know what it is? Do you know what you're saving up, though? You're saving up the joy because you're not going to look at those pictures that Ellie drew when she was three, probably for 25 years. But then in yes. 25 years' time, you'll find it, and for half an yeah, hour, you'll be so delighted that you kept it. And then you'll put yeah. it away, and then you won't look yeah. at it again for another 15 years, and then the same thing will happen, and then you'll die. <laughs> there we go. That's that done. <laughs> or you could put it in the recycling now, yeah. and you'd miss out on two half hours of your life. <laughs> It's two thirty minutes. Two thirty minutes. Periods of joy over the next forty years of joy slash regret at the passing of time. Well, like Kyra Ely Rugby Club, there doing the bit with the recycling boots. Yeah, yeah. I've taken I've taken a lot of boots down there. Yeah, but I can't take them all down there. And there's some I think. Cal's like, well, yeah, some other kid will. I know, and I really want a kid that can't afford a pair of rugby boots to have a nice pair of boots down me warm much. But these these boots are special because they played in a particular game, or you know. Yeah, yeah. I've got his. I've got Betty and Steph's. Wales football shirts from when they were really little. And it's, okay. Is he just? No, that's. And as he said, well, you can obviously check that out because they're they're too small yeah. for them now. And I was like, yeah, yeah, check them out. Yeah, I'll check them out. Why don't I check them out? Or, already been thrown out, actually. Why don't I be responsible for that? And I, and yeah, then, I've thrown them I out. I did. My yeah, I threw them out. Yes, yesterday. 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 <laughs> it was yesterday, actually. Yeah. And I've kept gone. I've kept them. I've got all that. The the way that I found out that uh, Kelly was pregnant the first time round, Ben. Yeah. Was we were on our little bridge in Poncana, which was our little special little place. Are you doing it on the and, bridge? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't have a donkey on. I thought this is going to work. And uh, I got done for a public order of uh, And I kept that. She song. gave me, from my member dad's house, my first ever little pair of football boots. Okay. I said, well, I was thinking, I thought she was taking the mix because I was going to go to uh, France to play some veterans rugby. Yeah. So I think I need a bit of. Bigger pair these days, baby. Thank you. She went, Oh, they're not for you. I went, oh. Just crying. Taking a rugby cow. <laughs> but if we hadn't kept those little boots, yeah. Yeah. That two minutes never would have happened. It's, yeah. No, exactly. She just told you. So when she told me she was pregnant, I just felt nothing but extreme terror. Anxiety. <laughs> oh, I was chuffed. Oh, yeah, I was sort of chuffed, but more scared so about, what chuffed. About, about what I'd be like as a father. Yeah, yeah, utter terror. Yeah, yeah. Weird, isn't it? I used to see like couples holding hands and stuff in the maternity unit before their scans, smiling mm. at each other and looking chuffed. And I used to think to myself, what the fuck is wrong with you? 
Why are you not terrified? <laughs> do you do you know the magnitude of this? This is a big deal. Where's 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 the terror? I think when you're pushing forty, it's all it's all planned. I remember when I was in my twenties. Yeah, it was planned. Mm. My it's... best mate. I'm not all right, man. I said he got up the duff by mistake. <laughs> when you, my mate was in his twenties and was going to Australia to play rugby, and he phoned me up and said uh, his girlfriend was pregnant. Yeah, I thought it was the end of the world because he was he was my my three days a week drinking partner. And he's like, it won't change anything, mate. I said, it'll change everything. It'll change everything. You've ruined it. Yeah. You've ruined yeah. my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you I thought that for real. Life. I thought you ruined <laughs> my life with your selfish really? family started. What's, what's funny, though, is that the, the people I knew who had children very early, obviously their kids are now ready to leave home. So they're mm. starting a sort of second life and young enough to really enjoy well, that's it. that's always the trade-off, isn't it? You are, you are the trade-off your 20s. Yeah. Yeah. And then you cash in and have a great 50s. Or, you know, you enjoy your 20s. And in my case, most of my 30s. <laughs> and resign yourself to the fact that you're going to be... That's it now. Not going out to your 70s. Done, <laughs> Done now. <laughs> right, let's do the first round of clips. I think Ellis should go first this week. Only a short clip. This is Gareth Bale's introduction to the MLS. Flicked on. Bale's first touch is a good one. Here he is again. Oh, the flick is delightful as well. How about that from the Welshman? There we go. His first touch in American football. Obviously, Gareth, after his contract, came to an end at Madrid. There was lots of discussion about where he'd end up. Would he go to Newcastle? Would he go back to... Uh, Tottenham, who was going to pay his wages, Cardiff, City. I think genuinely looked it genuinely looked at one stage like he was going to go to Cardiff. I thought it was a done deal. Yeah, yeah. Some people I know who I really trust, mm. journalists, said it's seventy percent done at one yeah. stage, and I thought bloody hell. But anyway, he has gone to America. He's playing for LA, and the MLS is certainly better than it used to be. But it is where the top players go at the end of their career still for a bit of a payday. What I love about it is that. <laughs> He's effectively done two bits of top trolling since he left Madrid in that this is his first touch, which I yes. love, and it just shows yep. still got it. And the other bit is that he gave that interview in Spanish. That's very <laughs> So the one thing he's been hated for since, is it 2013 or 2014 when he first went to Madrid was that he wouldn't give interviews in Spanish and that he hadn't bothered to learn the language and that he hadn't bothered to try and settle in and ingratiate himself with the Spanish way of life and culture. So we can speak Spanish. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he's he speaks Spanish. Yeah. He just didn't like the Spanish press, so he didn't want to do it. Yeah. But you, could, you can't live in a country for that long, you know, and not be able to speak the language and be any kind of normal human. Well, Coleman always used to say he can speak it because I've I've gone to meet him and I've gone to spend time with him in Madrid and we've gone out for dinner and he's ordered food and blah, blah, blah. He can speak it. And I, I must admit, I used to think that was Coleman looking after his best player. I don't think he's, he's he probably is Spanish, I doubt is as good as in English. I don't know. But he can certainly speak it well enough to do that. And I, I did the Guardian Football Weekly live show at the Hackney Empire and I was on with Sid Lowe's, the Spanish football correspondent oh, yeah. for The Guardian. Very, very talented yeah. bloke. And I asked Sid, obviously, who lives just outside Madrid, I said, how good is this? Because I don't speak Spanish. I said, how good is it? And he said, yeah, yeah, it's fine. He's speaking quickly, so he sort of sounds like he knows what he's talking about and his pronunciation's yeah. all right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he, he, it's it's not like you listen to it and you think, wow, what a linguist. 
But it's, yes. certainly, it's certainly good enough to do what he's doing, which is, hi, I'm Gareth Bale, and I can't wait to get stuck into the MLS and play for LA, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, six of power. Six yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what, well, that's what Toshak used to do, because Toshak did learn fluent Spanish, but he would translate yes. English football, footballing idioms into Spanish, Super. and then people wouldn't understand oh, yeah. it. So when he said... The second time he was at Madrid, he said, well, pigs might fly, didn't he? Yes, he in did. In an interview. Yes. And obviously yeah. that's not a Spanish idiom. <laughs> and people thought he was accusing the chairman of Real Madrid of being a pig. He basically got sacked for it. Sacked on the spot. <laughs> in Spanish. Be pig. You he could, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he said, well, pigs might fly. <laughs> But the press the like, is, what? I mean, a bird, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. <laughs> I, I, no, I am not a sexist. No. Oh, <laughs> I didn't mean that. Not that sort of bush, not that sort of bird. <laughs> an actual bird. Actual bird living in a bush. Yeah, I'll go. It's fine, I'll resign. He isn't the player he used to be. Of course he isn't. Because he was so physically impressive when he was sort yeah. of 22, 23. Yeah, he was just fast. And powerful. I don't mean just, but he was fast. But I mean, like, sort of cartoon, rub your eyes and your eyes bounce up on springs faster one stage. Yes. I mean, he was yeah. fucking rapid. He doesn't let go in that in that way anymore. If you watch him play, he yeah. doesn't sprint. But he because he's such a clever footballer, he just plays football in a different way. And also, I think the thing with Gareth now is that because of the way football is in comparison, say, with cricket or rugby... You can still, at international level, justify your place in the team if you are there at big moments. And he yeah. does still provide big moments. I don't think he... He doesn't dominate games like he used to, but I can't think of many better free-kick takers in the well, world. Well, if you think of a dead ball player, right? So free kicks and whatever. You would, you probably wouldn't keep in a rugby team because you could kick penalties. If it was close to you and another person, then you may get in the side because of that. Yeah. But Penalties tend not to be missing one kick out of out of, out of a few. Or I, I, there just seems to be if, if you a lot of football games like the Ukraine game are one nil. Yeah, yeah. So that 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 one kick, it's worth putting one, a person in the in the team for ninety minutes. Yes, for that one second of brilliance because that's going to win the game one nil. Where you don't get that in rugby. No, and also we built the entire philosophy of the team, but certainly in Coleman's era was based around that. It was nine very very disciplined players who had a job to do who were very, very disciplined defensively and didn't concede very many. And you were two really impressive attacking individuals and everything was geared around getting them the ball and getting them space. And then they would provide a moment yeah. and then they provide a moment and then you shut up shop and then you win 1-0. That was how we, that was what yeah. we did because Coleman and Oshan realised that they had two really generational attacking talents. And in a way that usually doesn't happen with Wales, nine good Premier League players who were regular starters for the club, which isn't which isn't the situation the Welsh team is usually in. I just love watching players enjoy themselves when they're good. And the thing with Gareth, I've seen, there was that picture of the Madrid changing room after they'd won the semi-final against Man City. And he was in the matchday squad, I think. Yeah, he just, he just didn't want to be there. And I, I understand that. It must be weird. When your team, because the way they came back to beat Man City, the way when your team have done something extraordinary, you want to be involved in them. But if you haven't, if you haven't played a part in, like he does, have a fifth Champions League medal. He didn't. He barely featured in that campaign. About eight minutes, I think. Yeah. Again, I'll be correct. It was two games where he came on a sub. I think. Yeah. 
So I, I doubt he feels much ownership of that fifth Champions League title. No, but yeah, when you're being introduced somewhere, five-time Champions League winner, I'm having over four-time. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And But, you know, like th- that fault of him, and he he looks like a bit of an interloper, but I've seen pictures yeah. of him in the LA dressing room now, and he just looks really pleased to be there, and he looks like he's having fun. So I don't know enough about the MLS. I, I could Google it, but I haven't. Uh, <laughs> so I thought, first of all, he was signing for Galaxy, but he's not. No, yeah, two LA Two T and they in the MLS. And they dislike each other, yes. Yeah. So that's okay. Yeah. Is that like an engineered derby rivalry? Well, uh, yeah, because they're relatively new teams. So I guess, yeah, you can yeah. view it that way. I think. But it seemed to be a decent crowd there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, they're the best ones in the Western Conference at time of recording. So they're, they're a really good team. I think that as a league, I've watched a little bit of it over the last couple of years because just being up late at night doing work and stuff, you just kind of wind up putting something on. And it, it's not. This retirement standard that is pushed out yeah. there by the European media. No, no, and it's it's not it's not at you, you wouldn't no, it's get not Premier League. You wouldn't get five of those teams who would be competitive in the Champions League. And I'm not saying that for a minute, but there's a couple who would be fine. Mm. And I, I think it's you know it's a decent enough league to be involved in. There's a lot of travel in it. Perfect for him though. Yeah. Apart from the travel. Which I yeah. think is might be an issue with his back and all that kind of stuff. But do you know one, thing, one thing I wish they'd do, right? I like my American things to be American and my non-American things to be non-American. Yeah. So I, I'm not a huge believer in uh, made-up names. So into Miami, the, the Newport Gwent Dragons. I don't really like that. I, I prefer. I would I rather think, watch Newport against Cardiff. You'll right? find Mike. They are Dragons RFC. Sorry, <laughs> come on, Mike. They've been rebranded. Right? Let's get They've on board with the rebranding. But then again, I don't like watching DC United against like LAFC or whatever. Like, fuck off, mate. I mean, if you're American, be American. Be the Tampa Bay Rowdies against the bloody New York Cosmos. You know, have, have a- but I think a lot of the crowd are sort of second generation immigrant sector mm. within uh, the USA in the same way it is probably in Australia. Well, I saw yeah. a really f- what a piece of footage that I personally found hilarious, even though it must have been frightening for the people involved new york city and new york red bulls ny red bulls yeah they, they don't like each they other. don't like each other do us trouble outside the ground that is quite funny for a recent rival almost artificial they were doing all the stuff that british hooligans do like they were throwing bins they have garden furniture yeah yeah and they were bouncing up and down and so arms wide and come on in all of that kind of stuff have we shown that clip who's the fella the sort of uh, the casual Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Have we picked that clip? We should pick that clip. Yeah, he's like an American football casual, isn't he? What a twat he is. <laughs> and he's like, doesn't he call out like oh, sort of Millwall? I've heard that the new den is a pretty frightening place to go. Well, I'm not fucking scared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's walking around. You expect to be like, yeah, you expect to be like Millwall. Yeah. And there's just like. Middle-aged couples in like shorts and, and Hawaiian shirts going to watch a game yeah, of soccer. Because yeah. that was the thing with the the NY Red Bull and um, the other team. They were it. It was like watching England fans in Charlois. <laughs> 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 like twenty three years ago, whatever that was. The new firm, the new yeah, firm. Yeah, but they're sort of they're Americans. So it's just it's just a funny thing to watch. Even though I yeah. feel sorry for the post sod who owned the cafe that had you know been chucked through his window, but I just couldn't stop laughing when I saw it. Uh, I think for Bale, 
I think it's the right option to have done. Not that he cares what I think. But I also think that you look at people like uh, Robbie Keane, Henri, Beckham, when they played over there, they also then had loan periods back yeah. in Europe Well, Beckham well. played so, for Milan. Yeah, he did. He had two sort of loan periods at AC Milan. Henri came back to Arsenal for yeah. a month or two. And Keane, I think he went to Villa off the top of my head when he was at LA Galaxy. So it's perfectly doable to do that and to have, you know, a little bit of extra Well, you two know timings better than I do, right? So is that going to be more beneficial to him World Cup-wise for Wales? Obviously, his priority is always Wales, right? Yeah, and it really is. So, yeah. Because yeah. well, he hasn't played. Does it make more sense to him being in LA than it does play, yeah. playing a Cup? Well, well, right now he's playing. So he's right. what he would be doing with Cardiff is having a pre-season. Then, or with Newcastle, or whoever it is he would have wound up with. But So then he would have played, what are we now, end of July, he would have played Championship. But he'd be playing probably seven games, maybe, before you get to the Nations League games in September, and then maybe another five prior to... And, and that's fine, but the Championship, he would be, let's go kick Gareth Bale. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's still a really physical league, yeah. the Championship. To the extent that occasionally, if you watch the Premier League, you think, oh, the fuck are they getting away with this? Yeah. Those challenges. Yeah. So MLS would be more... He's going to get more game time. He didn't get much in Spain. Yeah. Right? He'll get more game time, competitive game time, without without the sort of bounty on his head. I think so. Yeah. From the bits that I've watched of the MLS, and I'm by no means an expert on it, but I've, I've watched a fair mm. bit of it. And the style of football, the look of it, seems to suit him a lot more. The, the, the other thing, which is so exciting, is that... Everyone in the media was saying, well, you retire. If they don't qualify against Ukraine, that's him done. And then it was, okay, if they do qualify, he'll go to Cardiff or, you know, and he'll play eight games and then he'll do the World Cup and then he'll retire. He's talking about the next Euros. He actually talked about the American World Cup in 2026. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why not though, mate? He's he's, he's in, you know, if he can keep in peak physical condition and pick and choose his games. I, I, I totally agree. I think that, you know, and when people were talking about him retiring, it was like, fair enough, but... What is he? He was 33 last week. Yeah. 33. Yeah, so it's, it's early to be retiring. In four years' time, he'd be younger than Ronaldo. Yeah. The thing with Bill is, who's the guy with white hair who does talks but with Johnny Owen? I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But he, he made the point the other day. He said, actually, when you look at what Gareth Bale likes and what he wants, he's had an amazing career because Wales has always been his focus. Yeah, perfect. And so what's happened over the last two or three years, okay, it, it did go sour at Madrid. Yeah, but you know what? The people said that, man. I was just thinking, he loves Wales. He loves his mates. He loves a game of golf, right? I know the, the, the famous flag thing, right? But if someone said to me, I'm in my 30s, and I want to keep going, I want to play major tournaments for my country, right, in the next two, four, hopefully six years. Right? Yeah. Someone said to me, here's 200 grand a week, but to show you that we, we, we don't... You know, we don't like the way you're you're conducting yourself. We're not going to pick you. Now you've got to release me for all my UEFA and FIFA responsibilities for World Cup and Euros, right? That they that that's you have to do that anyway. So what you're basically saying to me is, you're going to give me a million pounds a month to live in Spain and play for Wales. Fucking yeah. Brilliant. And he's done the thing that all of our talented players in the past couldn't do. He's he's already played in two tournaments, unless something awful happens, he would play yeah. in a third, which is the big one, the World Cup, and. I know that the last, probably the last two Champions Leagues he was involved with, he can't really claim an enormous amount of credit, but he certainly can for the first three. 
And those yeah. first few league titles he won, absolutely. And when you look at the amount of games he's played, because he's played a huge amount of football. He's been he's been playing for Wales since he was sixteen. That's the thing. Sort of, he's a bit like Rooney in that regard. In that, I know he's sort of thirty three according to his birth certificate, but in terms of miles on the clock, he's played an awful lot of football. So, I think when the dust settles and he's retired, you'll be able to assess his career. And I think all of the idiots who say didn't fulfil his potential and stuff. Oh, <laughs> the man is human. Do you know if if he'd been playing twice a week for Madrid? Getting injured, getting knackered in his thirty, mm. he's not scoring those goals. No, for they're not going. They're not going to the World Cup. You know, he doesn't play like that against Ukraine. We don't go to the World Cup. Simple as that. Yeah, yeah, lovely. Fucking old game of golf. He got a golf course in his back garden. Yes, yeah, it's not bad, is it? <laughs> to teach you a lesson, Mike, we're going to give you a million pounds a month. <laughs> go on, <laughs> keep. You've got to live in a massive house in Spain. Okay, talking. Come back and play for Wales whenever you like. Yeah, right, right. And train with them. Okay. Yeah. Hang on a second. But what 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 will happen is because to teach you a lesson, you won't play for us. You'll always be fit when you're playing for Wales. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, that sounds awful. Is it a golf yeah. <laughs> Bloody brilliant. I think he's, I, I love Gareth Bale. Yeah, me too. And I think it backfired so badly. I don't know the ins and outs with bloody Zidane and all the other shit that went on down there. But he's got the last laugh there in fucking spades. I yeah. love it. It's just, it's an unrivaled commitment to his country from a really, really, really top player. Yeah. And we've had players who are nowhere near as good as him who haven't shown that commitment in the past. Yeah which used to really, as someone who loves international football, used to really do my head in. But from our greatest ever player, man, fucking hell, the guy the guy loves it. I think a carrot and sticks. I'll talk about rugby very briefly, right? Yes. So Gareth Bale plays in Madrid. Now he's playing in Los Angeles. Madrid's, well, whatever, 1,500 miles away. LA's eight, seven, 8,000 miles away, right? Yeah. He's still our talisman. He's still, he's still our, you know, he's still our best player. We build the teams around him. We build tournaments around him, right? And then he goes to... The Welsh Rugby Union say, unless you're playing your rugby in Wales, yeah. until you get 60 caps, you're not eligible for selection. So you can't go to Bristol to make a bit of extra money. Yeah. The Welsh Rugby Union saying, you know, we're not picking you then. Yeah. Yeah, I've never understood that because they don't, they don't do that with other sports. Can you they? match your salary? No. Can nope. you match your facilities? No. Nope. No. Nope. Nope. Absolutely okay. not. The thing is, I'm 22 and I've already probably only got a short career. Like, I'd like to try and sort my family out for life for the next two, sort of two or three years. Well, I can do that. You just can't play for Wales. You crack on, but you're not playing for us. But I'm the best one. Yeah, ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, that over. I see it as a restraint of trade, personally. I want to see the best players playing for Wales, making the most money they can and the best life they can, and be desperate to play for their country. Be, um, you know, that's Absolutely. what you want, isn't it? Yeah. Not someone scared to go and play somewhere. Imagine the resentment you feel. You might not say that in the press. Well, you might not, but then you, you get. A- you've got to turn down. There's not the same sort of money in, in rugby. You've got, to, but you've got to turn down, say, half a million pound a year to go to play for Paris. And yeah, go and play in France, right? And you're making hundred grand a year in Wales, say, right? I just they just figures and chuck it out there. You you win a lot more, three times at least in, more in, in France, right? Yeah. Not only is that financially crippling, right? You then when you turn up in training camp, the dickheads running the show. The, yes. You know, you think, well, hang on a minute, mate. You're the, you're the person. You're the reason I can't live in, in France with my family. You're the reason I can't make half a million pounds a year. Yeah. And you want me to bust a gut for you and go the extra mile, which you, you would do for your country anyway. But wouldn't it be much better to have a carrot there saying, Lance, go and, go and make as much money as you can. Go play all over the world. But yeah, then when, when we need to commit to Welsh training, your clubs, just like f- with FIFA and UEFA, you have to be, well, I'm allowed that anyway. 
work it out with world rugby and say you have to come and train for Wales during our camps and play for Yeah, rugby. but then rugby. you've also got someone like Regan Grace who's moving from rugby league to union. And because he's never played for a union club and none of the Welsh teams were in for him, he can go to Racing and play from St Helens. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And then he can get picked for Wales. And he's brilliant, by the way, and that's no, not a criticism of oh, him yeah, or decision-making. It's just the rules are just weird. They're, they're weird. They sense. are weird. It is weird. Also, yeah. presumably, if the WRU were having to play the Welsh internationals and they were able to play in France or wherever, yeah. and that would be far less of a financial commitment to the WRU, so they would be able to invest money in grassroots and all that kind of stuff. You wouldn't have to spend all that money on central contracts. And then younger players coming through from your youth systems and, and, and your academies are not trying to get internationals out of places. And, and you know, you're giving the, the, the lads a chance to come through and play first team rugby. So what, yeah. what is the argument behind it then? I don't understand the argument behind I think it. it well, the, the, I think the initial logic is that you control the number of games they play at club level, which means that they always cycle and are fit for international rugby. The trade-off of that is that your regional game then isn't very good because you haven't prioritised it. But That's the other thing, isn't it? Yeah. You've got to play for the Blues, except you won't be playing for the Blues. For two you won't, have to, you won't have to play for two thirds of the season because we want you to be fresh for Wales. It's like, well, we're trying to build up our regional game by bringing these players back. And it's like, kind of, kind of not. Strange. It is very, very strange. Very odd. If you can't explain it to a kid, it's a weird rule. That's, That's my logic on all good, of these good, things. Good rule of thumb. If I can't sit down with an 11-year-old and go, right, this is how... So how can Dan Bigger play for... Well, Ben says, it doesn't make any sense, Dan. No, I agree with you, Ben. Yeah, I totally agree with you. How can he play for Exeter? It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> that, that doesn't matter, okay? There, there, there are caveats. Any reason that it's just because is not good enough. <laughs> yeah. That's a shame. I say that to my kids all the time. Just, just is. It just is. And I'd like you to be less curious. Why, Dad? Because I said so. Because committee men voted for this. <laughs> no chocolate biscuits before bedtime. <laughs> it's in the yeah. WRU bylaws. You got a contract from Poe there for £400,000 a year. But why can't I go? Just because, okay? Just because. Some things we are not meant to understand. <laughs> <laughs> go with a Sunday school teacher approach to explaining them. It's just a life-changing amount of money. I'll life-changing amount of money you in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Get to bed. Twenty-four. <laughs> I'll hear no more about Poe. <laughs> <laughs> right, my clip uh, for round one this week is an athlete who I think gets ignored or doesn't get the amount of publicity that she should get, or isn't anywhere near as famous as she should be given her achievements. This is uh, Shelley Ann Fraser Price earlier in the summer, uh, winning gold in the hundred meters at the World Championships. Shelly-Ann Fraser-Price gets a good start, so does Talu and Dina Rasha-Smith right in there as well. Sharika Jackson over on the far side, it's Shelly-Ann Fraser-Price at the minute, she continues to go away, and it's her fifth title! Unbelievable! Her quickest ever, 10.67. That is remarkable. Shelly-Ann Fraser-Price made that look so simple, so straightforward. A pure exhibition, her best ever. In 2022, her first title came in 2009, 13 years ago. What a performance from perhaps the greatest sprinter of all time. Let's look at Dina Asher-Smith over here on the far left side of the screen. Did all that she could. It was going to be tough over there because Aaliyah Hobbs is not a great starter. 
But Shelly Ann was going to be too far apart. Had Dina been in the mix over on the other side of the screen, maybe there would have been a little bit better of a chance. But it was always going to be tough to beat these three. Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, in 2007, competed in her first World Championships. Okay? Silver in the relay. Olympic Games the next year, gold in the 100. World Championships 2009, gold in the 100 and in the relay. World Championships 2011, silver in the relay. Olympic Games in London in 2012, gold in the 100, silver in the 200, silver in the relay. World Championships in 2013, three golds. Commonwealth Games in 2014, gold in the relay. 2015 Worlds, two golds. Olympic Games in 2016, a silver and a bronze. Uh, World Championships in 2019, two golds. 2021 Olympic Games, a gold and a silver. World Championships so far this year, because we're recording this while they're ongoing, gold. Jesus Christ, what a career. She's 35. It's ridiculous. 15 years at the very top of the game in sprinters. Sprinters never keep going up. You're, you're lucky to do two Olympics. If you time it right, you might get two Olympics out of it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like five years when you're sort of peaking and, and that, those two Olympics come within that five years. I think because Bolt has come at the same era and Johan Blake has come at the same era in the male side of the sprinting from Jamaica, she doesn't see... Well, uh, if you said Usain Bolt to anybody on the street, they know who he is. Yeah. If you say Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, I don't think as many people know no, who no, she is. No, no, certainly not. And I think that that's weird, given how good she is. 35 still doing it. That's amazing. The thing, I suppose the thing... Apart from sexism, is the other yeah. reason. But, but but one would be that in athletics, especially in sprints, yeah, world records are what really make the headlines, and Bolt gets world records. Yes, that's true. Yeah, because Flojo was a real outlier. I mean, that's yes. still that world championship goal, which is a stunning run. Yeah, still two tenths. Yeah, lower exactly. Flojo yeah. did it. No, that's true. Yeah. So there's I a bit of that, which is unfair, but that's just the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I think you're right. I mean, to to be the peak of a performance. In that event for 15 years is unheard of. It's, it's ridiculous. And there's a great Jamaican crop as well. The amount of one, two, threes they've done in the women's, mm. you know, it's not far off the men's. Just how does she run that fast with that much hair? Well, she, she did the 200. So when we're recording this, it's sort of middle of July. So I was watching the 200 meter heats the other night and she had a wig on because she's a bit flojo sort of in the way she likes yeah, to yeah. look. And she adjusts her wig. In the home straight. No. Just a, yeah, yeah, she readjusts it. How can you run in a wig? Dunno, no I idea. I can't text in a wig. It's hilarious. That's got to slow you down, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really long sort of blue wig. And she's that good that in the 200 she can qualify for the final by just having that on. Fine, Do, not bother. Mike makes a really good point, though. It is records rather than medals that make the headlines. Mm. And I think the the fans and the people watching at home have got a very different attitude to records to the athletes. The athletes, it's the medal that's the important thing. They always say, oh, this record will be mm. broken, though. I'm not particularly interested yeah. in that. It's yeah. why Bolt eases up in the 2008 Beijing Olympics when he could have absolutely just... He broke the record anyway, but he could have smashed it absolutely into yeah. smithereens and it would have stood for decades and decades. But he starts showboating in the final 20 metres which is why those athletes, they're not those athletes, those scientists. We're in 9-6 and show. Yeah, those, yeah, athletes, those scientists in Canada tried to work out how fast he could have gone if he'd tried his best, which is a great thing <laughs> for us. That is good. Some boffins to do. Yeah, he's not particularly bothered by the world records. It's it's the fact that he won those medals is the thing that sustains him. It's just, it's interesting, I think, because for me, it's the fact that he's the fastest man ever. 
is what I found exciting because they'll always be an Olympic champion, but records can last for years and years. The flow draw thing is just so weird because it's, it was so it was so much faster than anything else, and nothing's come particularly close to it since. Like two tenths don't sound like a lot, but it's still six feet when you run that fast. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a it is a long distance. But she's remarkable. I mean, bloody hell! At the moment, I'm 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 in a bit of bit of pain today because I I can only use my left arm. I was thinking about that. Uh, the doc we did the other day about the uh, about losing you know, doing the, the lead man marathon. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking when he says about waking up pain free. Now I'm not I'm not comparing myself to that in any shape, size, or form. Go on, yeah. But I reckon I've woken up in a degree of pain with something probably thirty years. Shoulder separations, sprained ankles, torn knee ligaments, bulging discs in my spine. Yeah. Broken hands, broken legs. I'm never a hundred percent fit. For her to do, to be at the top of that for fifteen years, the yeah. trainer they go through, where a a one percent decrease is huge. You you, you have to be at a hundred percent all yeah. the time. Yeah, at those events. If if, if you're ninety eight percent, you're not you're not on the podium. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Which I would find so hard to cope with because you could play football at ninety eight percent. When you read those stats out, Steph, and it'll go like you know a bronze medal. You think, okay, she's ten, her career's tailing off now. Then back to goals and goals and goals. You think, well, that would have been the slightest little thing, the slightest little decrease in performance, or or the start would have been a hundredth of a second out. Well, that hundred meters this time, Dina Asher Smith finishes fourth, and Dina Asher Smith yeah, is yeah. one of the best sprinters of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's fucking amazing. But there are three Jamaicans who are that little bit faster than her. I don't think anything went wrong in her race. To be honest with you, such an unforgiving sport. Isn't it? It's interesting because you are and you aren't running against those people, aren't you? Mm. So, so you are running against them because they're alongside you, and especially in the hundred, they're in your vision the entire way. So, they, it can alter how you run. Yeah, but you're not as well because you've trained all the way through, and if you just follow your race plan, you should hit the time. Well, yeah. Once you get to the middle distance, once you get eight hundred plus, there's tactics as well. There's, yes, there's edging people out, and there's using the track, and there's. Yeah, but when you're when you're in a lane run, like four two and one, mm. it, it's all about you, really, isn't it? Yes, but then you see someone in your professional league. Fucking hell! What have they done in training? <laughs> Fucking, what, what you, who's your coach? Just something great about watching people run fast. Yeah, I yeah. really like it. She's only five foot tall. She's shorter than Mam. <laughs> shorter than Mam? Is she faster than that? <laughs> Her legs must look like road runner. Yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> five foot and they go on that speed. Crackers. Oh, imagine the stripe pattern. Imagine the bloody. I wonder how many times she has to, has to. I wonder how many strides she takes compared to say, to, yes, compared to Bolt, who's what, he's 6'3, 6'4. Yeah. He's taller than that. That's five foot, five foot running in 10'6. It's like Ronnie Corbett. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if Ronnie Corbett had been that quick. <laughs> the two Ronnie's be the funniest show on telly. But, but, Oh, yeah. <laughs> as soon as he tells his producer's chair anecdote, he just runs off. <laughs> Sprinting into position. <laughs> oh, can I tell my mate Tom listens to the podcast, right? Well, well, he genuinely went to the uh, Hyde Park with so fucking book. He went to Morecambe Bay recently, right? With the family? Yeah. With his wife his wife and his son. Right? Yeah. Well, you made a whole backstory for him. Go on. And he was, he was in fact, because he loves comedy as well, was loving the Eric Morecambe statue there, right? Okay, yeah. So his wife says, I'm going, get, get up, come on, we've got to go, come on, let's get... And he stood there, and then the son says to... I won't say the son's name, he's not my, not my part. son says to, to the wife, um, what's daddy doing? And said, oh, who's that? Who's that statue daddy's looking at? She said, oh, God, daddy's looking at Ernie, right? 
Daddy's looking at Ernie. Who's yeah. Ernie? She said, he was in the two wrongs. <laughs> <laughs> so she's got it wrong on both. In That's both. so good. She's looking at it was Ernie, Ernie for the two, the two Ronnies. Ronnies. <laughs> That's so good. The most wrong answer of all time. <laughs> Clue is in the title. Oh, my God. Ernie from the two Ronnies. <laughs> uh, go on, Mike. What's your clip for this round? Right, this is a longer clip than I normally pick. I usually, because I'm a gentleman, try to pick them around 90 seconds. Yeah. But I've gone down the um, Stefan Ellis route here. Good lad. The War, the War and Peace version. <laughs> this is a six-minute clip, but it's well worth watching. It really is. So this is National Sane and Bumble, part of the Sky Sports cricket coverage, uh, having a go at modern-day umpiring. Well, as we know, in cricket, everybody is an expert, particularly when it comes to umpiring decisions. Now, the international umpires now, well, their performances are scrutinised big time with the advent of DRS and all the technology available. But how hard can it be to get decisions right? Not out. Not out. Why? It's pitched outside leg. Um... There's no danger at all. I'm absolutely confident, 100% confident, put my mortgage on, that's pitched outside leg stump. Might be hitting the stumps, I'm not bothered. So it's pitching in line? It's pitching in line my backside. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? <sighs> come on. Come on, is it out or not out? <laughs> he looks a good lad. He looks a nice lad, not out. Not out, just... Just maybe indoor school. So you're, you're giving that decision based on the fact that you think that he's a nice lad? He's a lovely lad, this lad. <laughs> Where's that in the DRS? <laughs> nice lad, T. That's why Nash used to get given out a lot. No, I love this, because Bumble, you umpired for years, you professional umpire for a playing career finished. And now Sky, who I, I think do a brilliant job of the cricket, the way they make it accessible, the way they explain the game, I think their coverage is bang on always. It's not just bringing in ex-players, it's the ex-players they bring in that always seem to do a good job. I found this absolutely fascinating. So they're in the in the nets that the England side use, proper nets where you can... I've been in nets with a bowler machine, with Mikey Powell, you know, but these yeah. are... You can set this machine up to left-handed, right-handed, off-spin, leg-spin. You, you, any delivery you want, this machine will deliver and it'll deliver it perfectly. Right? Yeah. They put Bumblebee on the stumps first of all, put his, uh, his umpire coat on and he's got a watch. Uh, series of LBW appeals and give them out or not out and the reasons why. And now bear in mind now Bumble played at a very good level has commented on cricket for 20 years umpired professionally gets almost all of them wrong. Yeah. Yep. Nasser was saying has a go at it. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I'd love that bit. He says why isn't he out? Just looks like a good lad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that was on DRS and he says yeah. that was on DRS he just looks like a good lad. Not as um, good lad. <laughs> it is such a hard skill. Like I've been beyond the stumps in school games, watching sort of you know Mickey Mouse level cricket, and it's okay. when anything that hits the pads, all the kids appeal, obviously, right? But at this level, I'm amazed how often they get it right. Yeah. yeah. When, when they when they do use the DRS, I would say the vast majority of the times the umpires have got it on, have got it bang on, and this just shows you how hard that is. You've got to look at the. So if you don't know anything about cricket, you're if you're the you know the bowler's end, you're watching for. Where's Footland? You know, so is it a no yeah. ball first of all? Yeah, you then should really look at the bowling action because you you just seen if his, if his arms cock be. I think to be honest, is it fifteen degrees of elbow? Okay, and then you're going to look where the ball's pitching. Was there a shot being played or not being played? Because that'll affect the decision. Yeah, if, if you're not playing a shot, then you know you're much more uh, open to being out, out with LBW. Where's it pitching? Is it hitting the bat? 
and it might be the faintest of nicks on a bat. Is it hitting the pad? How high on the pad is it? Where in line is it with the? I mean, there's so many, and this is a, this is 95 miles an hour in the heat of the day when you've been out there sometimes for seven or eight hours in the sunshine, and they get it right. I mean, yeah. it's bloody brilliant. It's so good watching this because it's very, it's a very sort of uh, British thing not to be want to seem to make a mistake. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like NASA doesn't want to make any decision. You'd rather say nothing than be wrong. Yeah. Yes. And Bumble seems quite. I mean, when he finally gets it right, he goes, "Oh, the, the machine's finally warming up." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what though? It does a brilliant job. It's a great bit of telly. It's six and a half minutes, and it's a it's a brilliant six and a half minutes of TV if you like sport. But also, it does a great job of explaining or portraying how difficult the job is. What I couldn't help but wonder at the end of watching it was if you are an umpire in cricket, is there any training you can do? To improve, other than just just doing, doing that, it. Over just umpiring and over, and over you I guess. guess you'll start with like club games, and then if you do well enough of that, you get junior county, then you get county, then you get called into the sort of I suppose the national setup as an umpire. Yeah, I mean bloody hell! This summer, if you go with the New Zealand Test and the the, the sort of the India one, they caught up with as well. Test cricket now has just changed. It's just it's so entertaining. The crowds are back. You got people like Stokes playing. You never would have played Test cricket like that. That never happened. No, cricket's gone mad. When you see that you've got to get like six runs and over in a test. Yeah. Well, that was unheard of before. I mean, you're talking about two runs and over. And they're setting England targets now. England are going on a second innings and you think they'll do this. Mm. I mean, there's, if you look at all the stats in the past, they, they should be nowhere near this. And they're doing it with a session to spare sometimes because they allow the boys to play in IPL. But more than anything else, they got that. They got a new attitude completely with the coaching mm. setup now where yeah, the coach is saying, if you fail, you fail. I pick you because I try believe in you, and if and if if you get out first ball, that's not you're not going to get dropped. You know, and there's that flip it with the the Welsh Rugby Union thing about you're not letting people go and earn the money. Yeah, they are. You're you're now playing for a coach who and a set of the lets you go and earn the money, but also says to you, if you balls up, you're you're my man. You're in. Yeah, don't don't worry about it. Just go and play your game. Express yourself. Fucking but, what a breath of fresh air. And they're also but, letting Stokes retire from. One day international. One day, but yeah, still yeah. letting him play T Twenty, which they didn't. That's where they, in my mind, messed up with Peterson. Was yeah. when they said you can't retire from one form of the game. You retire. They did it with that. They let Anderson do it. They let Broad do it. Exactly. Yeah. So they kind of they found a way now of going right. Okay, what do you want to play? That's okay. Yeah. But the, I, I think maybe because it's such a difficult skill to umpire cricket, and you do get because of the nature of it, a lot of ex players go into it. There seems to be a really good relationship between most cricket players and umpires. Yeah. Which doesn't exist in a lot of sports. Because yeah. You remember when the, when the whole Shaku Rana Mike Gatton thing blew up in the 80s? It was so shocking because that just never happened. You get sledging with the players, but I think the umpires know most of the players. And, and if you're on a tour, you'll be you'll be probably be in the same hotels or close to each other for, for weeks or months. Mm-hmm. You all know each other. That You know that umpire's done it himself. He's been around, he's played. When they see this, if you're if you're a player, because NASA's played, obviously, one of the best batsmen in the world at one point, England captain. He was clueless with umpire, wasn't he? It's brilliant. I really it's like such it. a hard thing to I do. I can't think yeah. of any Premier League referees who were ex-players. No, it never ever happens in football. People do want to go into that, but I guess you just wouldn't be around that much cricket if you weren't into cricket. Mm. So if you didn't yeah, play, I don't know. It is an interesting thing. The only the only equivalent to this for me is offsides in football. So in terms of getting it right and getting it wrong, sort of on the pit, that'd be the only thing. Oh, that's a hard call, that is. Yeah, so those ones, again, so any LBW, I wouldn't have a clue. Look at the speed they're going, no balls off the time. It always looks out to me in LBW. Yeah, just give it. <laughs> just, Every single time, oh, yeah. I think. Oh, that's yeah. actually. Hit him on the leg, yeah. doesn't it? Is that? 
I'm pretty good with the old um, would it hit the wickets or not. Right. But uh, so I'm watching the flight of the ball. When they get a DRS, I'm, I'm usually pretty spot on with that. And I'll say, yeah. oh, that's just gone over the top of our stump or that's going to hit middle leg, whatever. Yeah. But it's, it's the pitch of the ball. How yeah. They can see where that ball pitches. Yes. There's that fraction of difference in pitching on leg and pitching outside leg. Fucking hell, that's the bit that gets me. Bumble says, Nice, I'm always looking first of all. Like, well, that's pitching on line, that's plump. And then you see DRS, he's pitching outside the line. Yeah. And he can't believe it, can he? He's like, no, that's, that's, that's not true. You watch this and wonder how many times in the past players got out to balls that they shouldn't have got out to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 you go back through history and... It's definitely favour the batsman, the DRS. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Bum was like, out, 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 not out, not out, not out. Yeah. I thought, I, just, I think it's a really, really good clip. I, I, I love those two. I love, I love the way that Sky do it. And I just think it was... For me, it's nice when, you, when you're into a sport and you enjoy it. Yeah. And then a bit that maybe you're not as sure about, or you you, you feel, I'm not embarrassed. I don't get embarrassed about stuff like that. But yeah. you maybe don't understand it as well as you think you should. They just make it really accessible. That's what I like about Sky's approach to cricket is that at least half of your audience is going to watch all day. Yes. 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 During an ODI. And not just, I mean, they do sometimes, but not just going through your archive to fill lunch because that's the easy decision to make as a producer let's just you know stick out the world cup final stick out stokes's innings in headingly mm. what else we got in the archives lads going right the way back and just putting that stuff out going right okay what can we do with the talent that we've got so the shane warne stuff you guys picked oh, last brilliant those masterclass sort of ideas coming up with little mini series ideas Fascinating. which they can use at other times as well to fill slots and it makes sense but using that during the day to actually make it a TV experience, I think it's really important. It just seems to be, as well, so much to learn if you really want to get into cricket. Yeah. I see Zoltzman quite a lot. And Robbins, as well, is absolutely obsessed with cricket. And he played until he was about 18, and John. And, you know, he, he'll watch any cricket. He loves it. But we will discuss cricket on a completely different level because it is his main sport, I would say, after golf. And Andy, obviously, there's nothing he doesn't know about cricket. I think that Sky do a very good job of explaining, probably not to the complete layman, not to someone who's never seen the sport before, but certainly to someone who might have played a bit at school, but is probably, it might be their number two sport behind football or rugby or something else. Yeah. The intricacies of it, because it's a, fasc- it's a fascinating sport to, to, to do a deep dive into. I think the athletic would be... If they had a cricket section, that would be a very useful bit. Yes, yeah. I like reading about cricket in the, in the broadsheets, especially when they really drill down into it. I think cricket writers can be amazing. Yeah, the best. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think when they really go into it. I think Atherton's a very really good cricket good. writer in the he Times. Is. I think he's yeah, really good. Absolutely. Him and Steve James, really like Steve's stuff. Mm. Gideon Haig, that sort of stuff, just really well written. Yeah, you could see how that would work. But if they get a job with the Athletic on the back of this, mm. then we should should get some free tickets or something. That'd be nice. That'd be really good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed test match tickets from here yes, on. Yes, please. yes, please. Forever. Drinking with my left hand seems really weird. Although, interestingly, hit me. When I do uh, pleasure myself, on occasion, yeah. I use my left hand. Yeah. Interesting. You start off as most young right-handed lads do, using the right yeah. hand. Yeah, those idiots. Well, then by the age of sort of 12, 13, I was... Thought you'd given it a curve. I thought I'd bent it in the wrong direction, yeah. not realising not realizing that a penis hangs naturally to one side or the other. What? What? Yeah. So I thought I'd, cor- I thought I'd correct 
I've got to correct things by changing hands. I don't, I sort of straighten it back up again. It would feel weird on my right hand, to be honest now. Just go to show that we're all ambidextrous if we put the, put the hours in. <laughs> if you've had enough time and effort to do anything. <laughs> there, won't be many not, there won't be many non-dominant hand masturbators than me in the country, wouldn't I thought? Non-dominant hand masturbator. Yeah. I love that's a delightful that's phrase. A, there's definitely a, definitely a Chalafo documentary in that. <laughs> There is. I'll, I'll talk. Yeah. I'll talk to my blunt. My non-dominant people. hand masturbation. The voiceover for that, Al. Yeah. Gladly, gladly. Talking it. Gladly is. Top, top one hundred non-dominant hand masturbators on Channel Five. Ellis is in. He's your man. Gladly do it. <laughs> right. Documentary time. Ellis James. What have you brought to the table? Breaking the mold. This is our first, I think, audio documentary. Right. It's actually an interview. It's uh, an interview conducted by Steve Crossman, my mate from BBC Radio 5 Live, from the Daily Euros podcast he was doing last year during Euro 2020. Well, I love Steve, and this is a really interesting interview with one of the greatest strikers of all time, Marco van Basten. I had to survive. I had to say, OK, it's, it's not, uh, we are not able to, uh, to recover my ankle. And uh, it was very... Uh, difficult to accept that the the most important thing is okay if you can't be a, a football player anymore that's hard and painful but uh, there is a life still beside of it but I had also such a bad ankle that also my normal life was uh, uh, becoming very complicated because I couldn't uh, walk anymore I couldn't uh, run but I couldn't walk without pain uh, so I had to uh, to continue searching for uh, recovery, not as a football player at that time, but as a normal human being. So I had another operation and then all of a sudden I, I had another operation again to block my ankle again. And then if you are blocking my ankle, then that, that uh, uh, means that it's limited as a, as a, as a uh, uh, I don't know how you call it. A joint. Uh, a joint, yeah, then it's, it's blocked as a joint. So you can't run anymore, but at least there's no pain. Awful lot to unpick in this. Now, mm. I listened to this, and then I listened to Golazzo, which is the athletic Italian football podcast yeah. hosted by James Richardson, where they will choose great teams or great players or great coaches, and they will do a sort of deep dive into those things. And they did uh, a deep dive into the Tre Tulipiani, the three tulips who were at yeah. AC Milan during the late 80s, early 90s, when Berlusconi just taken over, i.e. Uh, Ruud Hollett, Marco van Basten and Frank Rijkaard. So that's, that AC Milan team, Milan team, is one of the greatest club teams ever assembled. Oh, yeah. Absolutely incredible. And 30, more than 30 years later, when you still look at those that first 11, the first 11 as it was, you know, when they were at their best and winning the European Cup, say, in 89... It's still, they're still candidates, I think, for the greatest players in their position. You know, if you're playing 4-4-2. What a team. And I grew up watching that side because I was watching Scorriones for C. I love that team. I always think it's very sad that the top English teams at the time didn't play that Milan team. It would have been very interesting to put Pitt, say, Dalglish's Liverpool against that side. The sort of 87-88 Liverpool against that team would have been very interesting. I think Milan would have won, but it would have been a very yeah. interesting game. And the thing with Marco van Basten is I think you could make a very good argument that he's the greatest striker of all time. Goals per game. His goal per game ratio is madness. Yeah. And he was a modern striker 
over 30 years ago. So physically, he was quick. He's six foot two. He's good in the air. He's powerful. There's a bit in the Galazzo podcast where I think it's Costa Curta was a sprinter and quite muscly. He was like, you should have seen him on the bench press. He was, what an athlete. Just such a powerful bloke. So he's quick. He's tall. He's agile. He, used to, he was a gymnast as a young kid. He's powerful. He was a great dribbler. When you look at the range of goals he scored, dinked finishes, shots from 25 yards out, bicycle kicks, glancing headers, powerful headers. He was brilliant at dribbling. He could lead the line. He could be a target man. He could play between the lines. He could bring players into play. He could play with his back to goal. There was sort of nothing he couldn't do. What I hadn't realised, really, was how injury-plagued his career was and how it was cut short. He stopped playing at the age of 28. It's quite a moving bit in the podcast. They discuss this in uh, Galazzo as well, where Capello, who was a ruthless manager and who was very, very happy to make ruthless decisions, plays him in the 93 Champions League final when he is clearly not fit. In the days when there were only two subs. So Papan, who was fit and was a brilliant striker himself, should have started. But Capello, because he loved Van Basten so much, plays him and it's really, really sad because he's he's immobile. Like he can't he can't run around. And when he comes off, he eventually brings him off in like the 85th minute or something. And he knows it's done then. And he says it was like attending my own funeral. Because everyone knew that it was my last game and everyone knew that I was done. And it's 28. So it's the equivalent of Cristiano Ronaldo retiring in 2013. He'd had injury problems since 1986 since he was a really, really young player. He'd never really been injury-free. Now, the thing that I found interesting about this podcast, because he he talks about this in great length in his book, it's quite a harrowing description of pain, the book. I read an extract from it in The Guardian. I've read bits of the book as well. And they talk about this in the Glatzo thing. The pain he suffered in his ankle was so great and so many operations, so many botched operations, and operations that AC Milan begged him not to have, but he was always looking for answers. And he was just, he was always hoping that the next stop would sort him out. And it never did. Until he got the one where, that fused his ankle after he had retired and they were looking for different solutions. Because he said, what I wanted by the end was an operation that would allow me to live a normal life because I couldn't walk. There's a bit in the book where he says that if he needed to wake up to go for a piss or something in the, in the night, it would take him 120 seconds to get from the bed to the toilet. So he used to count to 120 because it was just searing pain in his ankle. You couldn't put any weight on it, and just touching it was agony. And at the end of the of Steve's interview on the Daily Euros podcast on Five Live, he says, to be honest, it wasn't worth it. He won, three, won the Ballon d'Or three times. I wonder that was not the answer that Steve was expecting either way, either. No, no, no. He won the Ballon d'Or three times. He scored one of the most famous goals in history. Holland are this hugely proud football playing nation. They've only ever won one major tournament, Euro 88, and he scores that goal in the final against the Soviets, that volley, which he attempted that volley because his ankle was giving him jip. <laughs> Isn't that fucking mind-blowing? That was really... So when Cross when Crossman kind of makes that leap of like joining up the dots yeah. in his head, and he goes, so hang on, you kicked that because you couldn't have taken it down because of the injuries. So he's like, well, if you hadn't have gone through all that, that goal would never have existed. And he's 23 as well. So he's already playing with those injuries at the age of 23. Yeah, but I think Van Basten would quite happily never have scored that goal 
and is, which is, I think, one of my. I think it might be my favourite goal in football. Yeah, it's your first ever clip on this podcast. I think it was. Yeah, but it's quite sad that the person who scored it would rather that, that hadn't have existed in history because it would have meant that he wouldn't have been horrifically injured. So you won the Ballon d'Or in 88, 89, 92. FIFA World Player of the Year in 92. UEFA Best Player of the Year 89, 90, 92. European Cup Top Scorer 88, 89 when they won it. Serie A Golden Boot 90, uh, 89, 90, 91, 92. Top Scorer to VC 83, 84, 84, 85, 85, 86, 86, 87. He won three league titles, Serie A titles with Milan. He won two European Cups. I mean, to be honest, I'm looking at his honours now. If I read them all, we'll be here all day. He had a fantastic career up to the age of 28. I think he might have been on Galazzo. It was only really either 91, 92 or maybe 1991 where he had a fairly uninterrupted season. Okay. And obviously he scored loads of goals. Yeah. But his ankle was so painful from about 86 onwards. So... How old was he then? He was 21. And he said, he said, I just stopped me living a normal life and I couldn't live a normal life and I want to live a normal life. So yeah, I would hand all of that back. He can't kick a ball anymore. That's the thing. He can, yeah. he can play a bit of squash and he can ride his bike, but to kick a ball is too painful. As brilliant as a player as he undoubtedly is, right? And as fantastic as the goals were. As a documentary, I mean, yeah. hats off to Steve because he'd get blood out of Estonia. Yes. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Van Basten's lucky he's a fantastic footballer because he's possibly the worst anecdotalist I've ever <laughs> I can't even begin to imagine what reading his book is like. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that 40 minutes, I, I, it was like when you're waiting for a train. Yeah. And you keep checking your watch thinking, it's, it's, it's got to be here now, isn't it? I, 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 I use a 40-minute thing. I was listening to talk thinking, Christ, it's six minutes gone. It just, it just seemed to take forever. I, I've yeah. never been a bloke so matter of fact. He's completely lacking in any hyperbole whatsoever. He makes me sound emotional. Oh my god! When he talks about meeting like Cruyff, was it Cruyff he talks at the beginning? Yeah, and he's yeah, like, yeah. you know, what was he like when you met him? He was a very good football player. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was yeah. a kind man. I liked watching him because he played good football. He must, he must have said the word football probably eleven times in the first paragraph. Yeah, right? I mean. Then he mentioned every time I was like, and in the end, he's speaking his second language. He's speaking his second language. Yeah, fuck, I know. He corrects himself halfway through on one of them as well. Uh, Yeah, he says I. It was similar means to similar I. He gets it correctly correct. Yeah, was that was nice. I thought that was nice. There was bits where I just thought, not not that I'm a grammar police, but I just really enjoyed them doing it. He must have said the word ankle about fucking five (laughs) hundred times. It was like, what was it like when when he first scored that? You know, he's like. It was, I was doing my job and I was very good at it and I played yeah. in a team that played good football. Okay, but what about this? And then Steve, you can see Steve thinking, come on, give us something. He's trying his Roy best. keen attitude if I was doing my you job. Know, he just, everything was matter of fact. I mean, he, he, I like that. at the end of it, career-wise, brutal, I was oh, yeah. so short and fantastic yeah. talent, right? When yeah. Steve's going, he, like I said, he's setting it up with that. But, you know, if this hadn't happened, you know, he's got that fantastic goal against the Soviets. and blah, 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 blah. You know, is, is, it, is it worth it then? I thought, I know exactly what he's going to say no, mate. Because he's very much a fact. He's going to say no because I'm in pain, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, because it hurts. I'd love it if I, was, if I spoke Dutch or understood Dutch. Mm. Yes. I'd love to hear him interviewed in Dutch. So I'd love to know if he really is that. You said the other day, Al, about your, your friend there in, in, um, in the Netherlands. And they just did, they didn't understand, you know, oh, yeah, it's not a bad idea. Well, you know, that's, that's, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, as, as in, it's not a bad know, idea. Which means they go and do don't it. do that. Yeah. The way he talks is like, you know, what was the best thing about playing football? I scored goals and that's the aim of the game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is right. You are right. That makes me the best one. I'll be honest, I wanted a bit more. The thing I find interesting about him, 
And I love reading about him. And the thing with Galazzo is obviously it's it's journalists. Mm. So they, you know, are better talkers than yeah. people are speaking in their second language. So I listened to the Galazzo podcast again. You would think that all of those medals and trophies that he's got in his house, because obviously he played for Ajax as well, winning Euro 88, becoming, being a big star, one of the most defining football teams of all time. Usually when you read football biographies or sport, the, the biographies or autobiographies of sports people, and the three of us have read hundreds between us because of this yeah. podcast, they almost always say, yes, it was worth it. Yeah. And I've got a bad back. Or oh, that was interesting. Tick. My knee no relationship me. with my kids. But, yeah. but he says, no. Well, like no, the I, fellas I, know, like Steve Thompson with, with, with dementia and that, saying, was it worth it? No. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. It wasn't. I was interested hearing Ryan Jones saying, no, it wasn't. And I know Alex Popham just says, well, that's what I wanted to be and that's what I wanted to do. So it kind of has to be. Mm. I wouldn't change it. No. Whereas Ryan would change it. And I found that really interesting. Van Basten, you understand why footballers have ghostwriters. Yeah, yeah, thought, yeah. Mate, you, you need a ghost interviewee here. Really. <laughs> you need some, you, That's the next you need, step. You need someone that who knows all about step. Van Basten's career, but then can put it across in an engaging manner. Especially with, you know, with an audio format. There must be a way of just having someone to do it for you. Yeah. I tell you one thing. Well, his, his career is spectacular. I just thought, how can, spectacular. Make, how can you make the most spectacular football career, which is... It's got everything in it. It's like a Greek tragedy. Yeah. It's, it's ended cruelly yeah. early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and he, and he helps his country to to do the one thing they they've always wanted to win that made championship. Yeah, lost two World Cup finals in the seventies. The previous everything. amazing, t- yeah. Everything for says that you and Pep are the best players he's coached. Everything for a football story that you'd need, or any sporting story, or any story is there, right? Yeah, but just fucking on, mate. You, you, you must be a bit. You know, you must have. You must be moderately excited about your career or, some, or anything. The reason I find him <laughs> such a sad figure is that when you're a little kid, yeah. the footballers or the rugby players or the sports people you like when you are a kid are just the ones, are the ones. They're the ones mm. that exist. But then after a, a lifetime of watching sports, so in, you know, the three of us, in our cases, it's over 30 years, you've yes. seen generations of different players and generations of different teams and, you know, it was Marco van Basten, say, in the late 80s, early 90s. 10 or 12 years later, it was Ruud van Nistelrooy. You know, these these players crop up. And what I find so sad about Marco is that we didn't see the best of him. That's what I find so difficult to handle. Yeah, if you never play, if you never firing on all cylinders, is he? Never firing on all cylinders, and he's still capable of that. Still scoring a goal every other game. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was sadness as much as anything. I don't know, mate. I, I couldn't work out. Because just because this is, you know, from 93 until now, this is his conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I wonder, I, I wonder, like, part of me wondered, what have you done since then then? I know I know he's done a coaching career and I know that he was... <laughs> Not an awful lot of punditry, I thought. Ne- Netherlands back. back <laughs> <with this. laughs> he's just, yeah, he's usually after the dinner circuit. So 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 what what happened during the first half? It's got a golden name, it's all right. Well, Sylvia Berlusconi when he when he takes over in Milan, you know what was it like when Sylvia Berlusconi takes over? You know, he comes in and you know, describe what he was like. Silvio was a businessman, and he was very wealthy. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. No. No. You, you misheard me, Marco. I, I know. <laughs> I know who he is. What was he like as a person? <laughs> I've, I've I've also read about him. You've met him. I've been. I'll say this him. for him, mate. Go on. Vindication. I say Ajax. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I say Ajax. And the yeah. Dutch say Ajax. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know yeah. who decided it was Ajax. And then, but then, so the, so Steve is, says Ajax. And I say Juventus. And he kept saying well. Ajax, right? Yeah. But then Marcos says Milan. Steve starts saying yes. Milan. Oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, I quite like that. Yeah, yeah. Call Just it, adapting. Call it Ajax as well, then. You've got to call it Ajax. Yeah, I, I see. Yeah. If you're going to call it Milan, mate, call it Ajax as well. I'd also call it Paris Saint-German. It just sounds like you're talking about the cleaning product, though, if you start saying Ajax. Yeah. It's Sif now, mate. Sif now, mate. It's fine. Over the programme. The youngsters won't have a problem. Actually, mate, that was Jif. Jif became Sif. Yeah. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah, you're right. Is Ajax still exist? I don't know. Have a look. I don't know. This is, this is, what, this is what people are tuning in for. Have a look. <laughs> people are in for. <laughs> Never mind the greatest footballer in European history. What, what's Ajax called these days? With Steve, with Steve <laughs> as well, having interviewed lots of footballers. We can get on Amazon. Is, oh, there you go horrible when they are not the charismatic superstars you really want them to be. Well, Steve's doing his best, isn't he? Yeah. He's doing his absolute upright. Ajax does seem to still exist. I think he's owned by the Colgate company. <laughs> yeah. but, when I've- but imagine when you own, when you meet your heroes. And if you, were, if you love football, which Steve Paitonley does, then Marco Van Basten would have to be one of your heroes. And you just think, come on, mate. <laughs> yeah. I love you. <laughs> Just, just before we start the interview, I love you. I was doing uh, it when I did that. That's what he did. Maybe he was really standoffish when, as a result. I did that um, Nothing Beats the 70s series for Radio Wales last year, right? Yes. I got to interview some brilliant people on there that I'd always wanted to interview, which was lovely. So Linda, the producer, was brilliant at finding these people, right? And I said, I said, I'd really like to interview um, David Sowell, you know, from Starsky Nutshell. I think, he, I think he lives in the UK a lot of the time, does a lot of theatre and sort of a bit of pantomime and whatever. Oh, yes, he does. She said, no. I said, why? She said, he's just not, he's just not very nice to interview. <laughs> I said, oh, I like no, that. Fair enough. Yeah. So if I, yeah. if I, if she hadn't told me that and she'd lined up David soul. Yeah. And he was crap. I would have been devastated. Yeah. There you go. See, she saved you. She saved you from a boring person. But yeah, I didn't think of the fact that if you, if you were now sort of my age. Yeah. And your career was cut cruelly short at 27, 28. And you'd never yeah. been right since the age of 23. Yeah. And 23 years later, people are still. Yeah. yeah, I imagine. Yeah. I'll cut him a bit of slack for the fact that he might not be ebullient. It's also, it's not just that. It's the fact that he's been in, I don't think it's as bad anymore, but he was in chronic severe pain for so long. Mm. I think that's really altered and changed his perspective on things. And I think it must be, I think he must have real empathy with injured players. And I think he must yes. look at those players who just get away with it. And some do and be so jealous because he talks about the tackle itself that in 1986 when he was you know 22 I think or 21 he said it wasn't that bad a tackle at the time he said nothing didn't he just he said it was all really yeah I just I just could never recover that's so weird so what what what, what exactly was it then did he was it crushed bone or a dislocation or a they reckon on the Galazzo they reckon that he played an entire season with Ajax with damaged ligaments and he was being made to play when really he should have taken a much longer time to recover. And then he had he had operations, and operations in those days were far more invasive. So the one that really yes. messed him up was he'd actually had quite a good season. And someone, some specialist said, if you let me get into the ankle, I can clean it up for you. And then when you've recovered from that operation, you, you'll be right as rain. And Milan begged him not to do it, and he did it anyway. And then that was it. That was the end of his career. Because he had 22 pins in his ankle at one stage. Jesus. And I think that when you can't walk and you are an athlete yeah. 
and you've got young children, all that kind of stuff, and you can't live a normal life. Because he says, by the end, I wasn't being operated on so I could play. I was being operated on so I could walk and have a normal life and yeah. be with my kids. It must damage your relationship with the game as well, because being made to play through pain and being made to play with painkilling injections and stuff, which happened, which always happens at that level of the, of the sport in big games, because that was a good Ajax team. So they're thinking, you know, bloody hell, if, if we can get Marco on the pitch and he can do something, then we could win a league title or we could progress in Europe. Because you are an asset as a footballer and you yeah. are owned by the owner of the football club. I think that then when you are being pushed to do stuff that you shouldn't do, and this happens at all levels of elite sport, but I think mm. when the upshot of it is that your ankle is a fucking mess and you can't go to the toilet and you're 28 years of age, it must really damage your relationship with the thing that has given you the life you have. I really wish we could find North Dallas 40. Remember, I was picking ages ago as my film. Yeah, yeah. It's all about that. It's fascinating. It's written by an ex-receiver in the NFL, Peter Gent, who played for the Cowboys. And it's a yeah. very thinly veiled um, expose of what that was like in the 60s and the 70s. So the Dallas Cowboys come with the North Dallas Bulls, you know, because the NFL, the NFL wanted nothing to do with it and threatened it with all sorts of legal action because it made the league look bad. But it was all about that, treating players like, you know, there's a spreadsheet. What are you worth to us? Yeah, yeah. We need, to, we need to get this out of you and whatever it takes, you know. It's just it, brutal. So, if, I mean, if, if that was the team pushing him through that stuff when he didn't want to do it, then, yeah, that's got to, it's got to uh, cloud your opinion of the sport and the way that it's run. And you're not in a position to say, I'm not right. Because what happens is I think the players do say, I'm not right. They then get absolutely... Hold over the calls by the press and by yeah, the and you get that you get that you get that reputation of being of being argumentative and of being hard to deal with, hard to manage, and hard to this sort of not and not putting the team first and all that bullshit, right? When yeah. really you're just in pain and you need to yeah, get yeah. right. Yeah. His last international goal was against us. I didn't know that. In what get, uh, wait, friendly in '92. I just googled him as well. He's 57. Now. He looks bloody brilliant. He does look good. Yeah, I read some boy a really good interview with him in the Observer Sport Monthly, which is a really good magazine that they've undone for years, where he was talking about his son, who is not particularly good at football. I mean, his son would be in his 30s, I would imagine now, but this is when his son was like seven or eight. Yeah. And the sort of ball is bouncing off him at this under eights, <laughs> you know, game in Utrecht or wherever it was they live. Yeah, yeah. And the the journalist says... Does that upset you? Because you know, shit, I'm the greatest striker of all time, and he's like, "No, I don't want him to play football because it's such yeah. a weird life." I haven't been anonymous yeah. since I was eighteen. Gareth Bale will never be anonymous again, right? Sure, but what he also have is tens of millions of pounds in his bank account. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you were that famous in the eighties and the seventies, yeah, early early nineties, you've got none of that anonymity still. You, got, you, you haven't got your own life, but you haven't got life changing. You, you can't construct the life away from all that because people like Ronaldo and Bale now, yeah, so rich. I know that that's, there's more to life than money, but they can they can afford to do things differently. You know, if if you if if Gareth Bale wants to hang around with his with his real mates, he can afford to take all of his mates to uh, a Caribbean island, yes, and rent the whole island for the for the week, and they can do whatever they like. Right? Yeah, sounds fun. Yeah, so you, you you couldn't have done that on eighties wages. No, you still have to go out to a nightclub in town with your mates. Everyone recognise you. You get a load of shit, or not necessarily shit, but just just no life of your own. Well, that is why the seventies rugby players in Wales. I'm 
I never failed to be dumbstruck at how normal they are. Yeah, because they yeah. were Van Basten famous where they lived. <laughs> they were all coppers yeah. and teachers and yeah. <laughs> working in, you know, factories. And the well, pressure, you know, if you're not Welsh, I don't think you understand the pressure those players were under in 1976 when they're going to Twickenham and they, they could win a Grand Slam. But they had, but they were under pressure from their workmates because they still the had jobs. It's fucking mad. And yeah. with Van Basten as well, he was scoring all those goals at a time when the Italian league was probably the most offensive league mm. of all time. So it was hard to score goals like that. And he was doing it in pain. He's just, he's He's an extraordinary individual. There's one record. I can't remember which. They broke it down at the end, the stats. And it wouldn't have been national goals. Maybe it was Serie A goals. But he worked out like two goals every three games. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, at a time when, you know, a lot of Italian clubs in Serie A would concede, you know, less than a goal a game on average. It was an immensely defensive league. Catanaccio and all that stuff. And dementia is, I think, a different, a slightly different discussion because of, you know, the news recently of what's happened to Ryan Jones and Alex Popham and the others. But it is rare, in my experience, that a sports person who is still in... Like, Ronnie Coleman is a good example. That guy is in fucking pieces. Have you seen the Ronnie Coleman documentary on Netflix? I haven't. Oh, Oh, I thought I picked it, but I don't think I have. It's horrible. It's a horrible watch. He's gone, isn't he? He can't, he can't get in and out of a car. He can't. He can barely walk. He still trains every day, but he still up, trains every day. Bits. And he's up every couple of hours taking painkillers. And the doctors said, on a scale of one to ten, how would you describe the pain? Now, for me, ten would be being burnt alive. <laughs> and he's like eleven. <laughs> and he, yeah. He's like, yeah, terrific all the time. Do you regret being Mr. Olympia? No. And you're like, uh, <laughs> yeah. you should, come yeah. on, mate. Yeah. Come on, mate. <laughs> you, 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 you were working as a policeman before. That was fine. He was working as a copper when steroids were still illegal in America. When there was, it was like a, it was a class A drug. Yeah. Possession. Yeah. Steroids was a, was a big deal. I mean. <laughs> he was like the biggest bloke you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> <laughs> on tons of steroids. But he. Uh, I just want a drug bust. It's a really, um, it's a really sad. It's, I found it, I don't think I finished it. Oh, actually, it's hard Because it's a hard watch. Really? Okay. Keep it for your birthday, Steph. I mean, I'll pick it. <laughs> uh, Van Basten, when he became a TV analyst, was described by ESPN as rather cerebral and ponders problems rather than expressing them. He managed the Dutch national team, didn't he? He did, yeah. And was assistant. What was that like? On. I told him what to do. Yeah. He fell out with Ruud van Nistelrooy from memory and didn't pick him. Picked the cat ahead of it. Zlatan was given videos of Van Basten to watch when he was at Milan um, by, I think it was Capello, and said, watch him and do that. And then he watched him, did that, and then became Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And I can't imagine Zlatan watching videos of any player other than himself. Yes, <laughs> on repeat. Yeah, just watching his own highlights reels on, I am on YouTube. But um, yeah, the Ronnie Coleman programme, because when he's saying that he doesn't regret it, I want to shout at the screen, you stupid twat. <laughs> What's wrong with you? He, but he's known. He would have come from, you know, anonymity. And I don't know what his background is, Ronnie. I don't, you know, but it, there's a good chance he wasn't brilliant being black in, in, in the United States of America in, in the 60s and the 70s, yeah. right? I think that's probably fair. Um, 
And he's one of the most successful Mr. Olympias of all time. If you love bodybuilding, you know who Ronnie Coleman is. Yeah. And even people outside of bodybuilding know, know who he is. So I, I sort of get what he's saying. I remember we had a we had a question in, in I think Nicky Piper came in when we were in, in Ewick years ago, doing my mm. degree, talking about injuries and drugs and, uh, you know, get a it was very interesting, actually. And he sort of said, if you could win a gold medal at the Olympics, but it took five years off your life, who would say yes to that? I think me and one other person put our hands up. Yeah. 50 hands stayed down. I just thought, they all. Well, no, because I just thought, well, <laughs> you know, we're not being too deep. We've all got to shuffle off at some point, right? Absolutely. If, but if you can shuffle off as, you know, the absolute top of your game. Yeah. And the trade-off is pain or reduced uh, longevity in your life. I, I, I get it. I, I, I can understand that. I can, I can understand what Van Basten's saying. Five years less with Ben and Ellie and... Uh... With Ben and Aline Kelly, though. Well, yeah, no, I know. I know that is, that is, but that is uh, a gold a medal. Yeah, that's what I mean. So I, I get both of them. I, I can completely understand Van Basten wanting to go and kick a football with his boy and he can't do it and, and yeah. saying nothing's worth not being able to do this. But I also understand, you know, Ronnie Coleman saying, yeah, I'm in, I, I'm in agony. I can't even, I can, can't walk to my car. But they can never take away those Sandows I've got or those Olympias I've won. I get it, but I get both sides of it. I can't imagine not being able to walk to my car. That's the thing. And also it's it's the prospect with Ronnie Coleman of him not getting better. Yeah. It's not it's yeah. not it's not a short term injury that he needs to recover from. His body is fucked. It's funny that he's still tra- we didn't we should we should pick that doc because the way he trains is still balls out. Like the, the, the weights he's throwing around there are but that's weird. It that is weird. Yeah. If your body is fucked. You're not your back and shoulders and hips and legs are knackered. Yeah. So let's do some 75k dumbbell press. There's the bit at the start of the documentary where some of the amazing bodybuilder, I can't remember who it is, said Ronnie was using just different weights to everyone else, like the weights at the far end of the gym that were dusty because no one ever touched them. He was the one using the 200 pound dumbbell. Yeah. <laughs> 200 pounds. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Weight of a big We'll pick that man. again. It's an interesting to get both sides of that spectrum. So the Van Basten side, yeah, completely understand. What would you say now if Nicky Piper asked you again? Well, this is the other thing. Van Basten's coming out now as a dad. Who's yes, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Right? So you get a different perspective. I want to watch my kids grow up now and have fun and, and, and be there and be a granddad one day. So if they said that oh, to me now, like. well, but I probably now would say no. I'll take the extra five years with the family. Okay, probably because, like Al said, I, I'd be thinking of what, 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 what about Ben? What about Ellie? Be a fifty-year-old winning at the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> Famous. You would be famous. The event, not, we're not talking sailing. I don't want to get a fucking goal for sailing or shooting. Absolutely not. It's got to be the 100 metres, the blue yes. chip. Yeah, okay, 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 right. You should get a 100 metre gold, right? Come on. A really surprising victory, I would say. Yeah, I mean, completely out of left field. Although put into bed for once and for all, Ellis is fucking ridiculous. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I yeah. would concede defeat. <laughs> but the, the surprise that I read when that Welsh guy who trains up here... He won, he won the British Championships, but he, he, I think you winning would be a bigger story. That'd be huge. Yeah, it'd be huge. I mean, it'd be, it'd be one of the biggest sports in sport ever. I think. One I would say so. Ever sports stories. Yeah. I, what, yeah what, a documentary, what documentary? What documentary? The bubbin story would be. He's gone from he's gone from fifty and obese to an Olympic gold medalist. No one's saying that you're not going to be obese. Nobody said that. Nobody said. Nobody said. That. No. I'm going to diet either. Yeah. No. 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 But of course, <laughs> there is a sad side to the Mike Bubbin story. He will be dead in two years' time. <laughs> <laughs> you giving him seven at best. <laughs> you two morbid fuckers seem to mention this an awful lot. You know? Mike Bubbins uh, signed a deal with the devil. 
He would die in two years' time in exchange, Faustian for, <laughs> in exchange for Olympic glory. He was a man of enormous girth, but when he ran, everybody watched. He made a Faustian pact. Never had 280 pounds of man move so quickly. <laughs> John Fassender. I want to bring John Fassender back from the grave. Yes, that's part Narrate of Narrate my documentary. I win Olympic gold. I'll fucking die tomorrow. I don't give a fuck. Oh, that'd be the best, that would. What, winning he was gold? Hollywood handsome, but cowboy <laughs> tough. Oh, come on, John. Now that's worth it. That is worth yeah. it. Yeah. You full lycra. Yeah. Ah, oh, Olympic yes. kit on. Be amazing. I'd insist on him, Lavin Hadley, on the top of the podium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you can be here for Canada in my mind. <laughs> they've, given, they've given you citizenship. The British don't want to pe- pick you because they don't believe that a 50-year-old obese man can win the Olympics. Canada believed in me. Canada Coached believed by Ben Johnson. Yeah, Coached by Ben Johnson and John Candy. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is this is like the best this is the best documentary ever made. Narrated <laughs> 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 by Marco <laughs> Van Basten. Oh dear, it's just fucking <laughs> there goes my golden globe. <laughs> Mike Mike Burbins was a sprinter and it was his job to win gold medals. Yes. And uh, he, he was. Explain when you first met, you met Carl Lewis, Marco. He was fast. He ran fast. <laughs> yeah, I mean fair play. He did was the fast runner. Fastest man ever to live. I'm always amazed at yeah. on the documentary how jolly Ronnie Coleman is. Yeah. If I was suffering eleven out of ten <laughs> pain, say Ronnie Coleman. <laughs> I would be. I think the technical term is a moody bastard. Ronnie Corbett from Morecambe Boys. <laughs> yeah, Ronnie Corbett. Yeah, you know, you know Ronnie. Ronnie, Ronnie Corbett, the, the bodybuilder. <laughs> yeah. You, every time you say Ronnie, can Corbett, you imagine going to the Olympia and Ronnie Corbett goes <laughs> out there in a. Oh. All that comes to my mind is David Coleman and Ronnie Corbett. Every time you say Ronnie Coleman. Ronnie Corbett. Speedos. Yes, oiled. Creosote coloured. Oiled up to the maximum. But again. Most muscular, double bicep. But again. Lats bread. If if his life had gone in a completely different direction at the age of 13 and he'd fallen in love with Jim as opposed to telling anecdotes on a leather chair. Well, there were people, there were bodybuilders his size, his his height. Mohamed Benazizer wasn't much bigger than him. (laughs) Yeah, flexing. There is a round when you, it's a freestyle round. You got you got your your fixed poses you have to do. But there is a freestyle round where I suppose you could, you know, you could in theory put a Pringle on and spin around in a, <laughs> in, in a small armchair and talk about what the producer said to you. <laughs> the Lyle and Scott round. Yes, the Lyle and Scott round. Why don't they bring in anecdote telling to Mr. Olympia? Oh, be, yeah, why not? you got to do your fixed pauses and then you've got to tell your funniest anecdote. In a Scottish accent. <laughs> Corbett, the Olympia. Right, it is the time where we head off into uh, Patreon land for another half of the podcast. So if you are on patreon.com slash distantpod, or if on Spotify you subscribe to the Socially Distant Sports Bar Extra, I tried to do that all in one breath and that really hurt. Too well, eh? That was good. Well, it wasn't, was it? It was, it was, a, it was a little bit of Van Basten. If you subscribe to the Socially Distant Sports Bar <laughs> if, Extra. What should they subscribe to the, to the Patreon, Marco? They will get an extra three clips. <laughs> yep. Mike and Ellis will talk about things that aren't the clips. That is it. Great. If thanks, thanks. The, the, top, okay, the top two tiers get Michael Owen's movie club at different periods during the month. Get Ronnie Corbin in. <laughs> <laughs> We're not selling any here. <laughs> I met Corbett. Where? At the Hey I'm White Book Festival. Yeah. 
Yeah, brilliant. I got a lovely photograph. What were his traps like? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. His serratus were very defined, fair play. I reckon he must have been below 4% body fat at the time. Of course, that's before he got banned for diuretics. <laughs> what do you mean below 4% body fat? But bodybuilding isn't your thing. Yeah. <laughs> Anecdote telling is yeah. your thing. Proper striated. Just absolutely ripped to shit. Ripped, ripped glutes just sat on, a, sat on an easy chair telling anecdotes. <laughs> Always. Straight for the pro-celeb golf circuit. <laughs> for nothing else. Oh, God. Bring that back. I'd love to play on that. A pro celeb. Oh, my God. Somebody put the clip up. I, I can't find a, a decent clip of it, of, of, of uh, Christopher Lee and, and Telly Savalas playing golf. <laughs> God, that would be the fucking day, wouldn't it? That would be good. Uh, so if you, join, if you join the Patreon, you get access to our Facebook group as well. So there's a Patreons-only Facebook group where Mike interacts regularly. I will occasionally put one-word answers, and Alice has a watching brief. But we're all in there. I like it. Out of all of the things on social media, I like that. It's a nice group to be in. Yes, yes, I agree with that. Do you know what I mean? There's broadly positive, and they are nice people within there. So you get access to that. If you want to come and watch us do a live show, we are doing one in February of next year, so 2023. Massive, massive it is. Massive gig. Massive. Massive it is. So February the 3rd, Friday night, 2023, start of the Six Nations. Go on. Night before Wales versus Ireland. It is. Yep. I will be performing with a massive leak. Oh, yes, please. Max Boyce style. We could get that done, actually. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get a I'm massive. Gonna get a huge, I'm going to get a huge rosette, but in purple and yellow. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get a massive rosette. I know what my first line's going to be. What? what? When Wales defeated England. Oh, hey. Amazing. <laughs> My ticket was in his court. He saw two photos of his way for one of the Not now, well. <laughs> Come on. So if you want tickets for that at the Motorpoint Arena in Cardiff, click on the link that's on the episode description, and that will sort you right out. Uh, if you want to see us on television, BT Sport is the place to be. If you go to uh, BT Sport every Sunday night at the moment, we are doing a show called Down the Clubhouse. On there, if you want to watch all of them, they are available on demand via the guys at BT Sport as well. Right, it is time. We're all back together now. Hello, 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 oh, hello, hello. You missed a cracker there. Did actually, yeah. You missed three clips. The Mark of Ambassador described as good clips. <laughs> Do you know what? That was good. I would say, obviously, yes. you've got to give the Patreons. A good value because they're paying oh, yeah. for this, but your choice of clips, plural, were absolutely brilliant and and led to a great discussion off the back of them, Steph. Yeah, it was good. It was good. But if you sign up, you see, you can yes. you can go back and listen to it. This is the thing, right? Which Enjoy. you know gives you immediate value for money. And those of you who are cynical, <laughs> hi, <laughs> you're not as cynical as me. But those of you who are cynical. As soon as you pay, you get access to all the back catalogue as well. Okay? So that's how the system works. All the same. Yep. You make your own decisions. That's what that means for you. So the book for this week is my choice. I had one that I was going to choose, and then I saw my middle son reading this one, and I thought, do you know what? We haven't done a kid's book for a while, so I'm going to choose this one, which is Marcus Rashford dipping his toes into the novel world mm. I chose his book which was kind of a motivational book for kids a while back he's 
created a book club because along with all the other stuff that he's done about school meals and so on, I think he's realised that his first book captured an audience. So whether he's cynical or not, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. But getting kids to read books is obviously something that's on his agenda now. And he's invented a series of books. This is the first one of them, uh, called The Breakfast Club Adventures. So The Beast Beyond the Fence is this one. He's written it with a guy called um, Alex Falasse Coya. It's about a 12-year-old boy called Marcus who kicks his favourite football over the school fence. Only he isn't brave enough to go and get it because he doesn't know what's behind the fence. And then it's about him getting a gang of people together to go and get this ball back. And it, it sounds really, like, silly as a premise, like, really silly, but it works really well. And I like his intro to it, the whole book. So he says, welcome to my book club. I'm excited to share The Breakfast Club Adventures with you, a book written by Alex and me, especially for you. Take it home tonight, write your name in it. It belongs to you and only you. It's jam-packed full of adventures. I hope this book broadens your horizons and you can dream bigger. You can champion and celebrate the differences in one another and realise that difference isn't a negative, it's a strength. How boring would life be if we were all the same? Take uh, the time to ask more questions. Take the time to listen and to learn about one another. When someone is low, our only answer should be to pick them back up. Remember, we all need help along the way. Enjoy every word at your own pace. And remember, there's no rush to get to the end of the book. Get that ahead of yours high and let's conquer the day together. I just thought as an intro from an author, I love that. And it's about how Marcus has got these perceptions of some of the kids as being geeks or being weird or whatever it is. But they're the ones who then help him go and find the ball and they become the breakfast club. So the kids who get dropped off at school early mm. to have their little school meal, to have their breakfast together. And he just meets guys who aren't his natural mates, if you like, and they become his friends. And he's nailed down what I can see being quite a good series as well. But I love fictionalized sports books. So I love James yeah. Hook's stuff. I love the stuff that Gordon Darcy's doing. And this sort of fits in really well with that. So my middle boy's nine and he's rattling through it. So it's that kind of age group, I would say. So sort of nine to 11 as a category. It just works really well. I bet he's so nice to work with, Marcus Rashford. Well, I, I just like the fact that you know, people will go, well, you, you didn't write it all himself or, well, you know, like they say about Walliams or Badil or whatever. But without those guys, my eldest boy wouldn't be able to read it. Exactly. We went to see David Badil do a live reading of his stuff when he was in Cardiff once. And he spent ages with the kids afterwards. Yeah. yeah. He had like about 10 minutes with my eldest and his mate just chatting. Be amazed if Badil wasn't writing all of the all of I, I'd be stunned if yeah. he isn't as well. But what I'm saying is that's well, how people talk. Well, obviously slightly different. But... but that's how people talk. People are yeah, always yeah. like, oh, yeah, but he doesn't, he doesn't even write it himself. And my answer is, yes, I think he does. But also, I couldn't give a fuck because yeah. they're good books. And it doesn't matter to me. So... Yeah. People will go, oh, yeah, but Marcus didn't write that all himself. I don't care. I couldn't care less. If that means yeah. that my nine-year-old is reading more books, good. And if they're good books, which this one is, good. Who gives a fuck? Don't be so miserable all your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be cynical, yeah, but not saying. miserable. You tell them, mate. Tell them. Yeah, it annoys me, that sort of stuff. But, yeah. I'll keep writing the kids' books, piece of piss. Go on, do one then. Do yeah, one. Yeah, That'd be great. It, yeah, try it. The more that are out there, fantastic. Oh, I reckon it would be a piece of piss. I think it would be a piece of piss as well, but... I'm done one. <laughs> Next step, mate. <laughs>
My, my Olympic goals. <laughs> it's, it's about living the dream into your 50s. Never getting yeah. up on your Olympic goals. Yeah. Little Mike Bevan's had a dream. Yeah. <laughs>